Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast look at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I'm good, Darren. I'm good. We're, we're, um, what do we have um, planned for, 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 for this week? We've, um, we've, have, 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 we, have we randomly arrived on, on, <laughs> on any movie that, is, that isn't Scorsese? Could we, we're not calling it Summer of Scorsese anymore, are we? <laughs> Oh well, no, because it's now like late November. Yes, it's now late exactly, November. Exactly. Yeah. December. It's the score season um, of score. Oh, I like Scorsese. that. Um, yeah. I guess, uh, Scorsese season. Score, yeah. Scorsese. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get on that. We have a team of interns who are frantically working on this as we speak. Um, but yes, so unfortunately, Andrew, we are doing another Scorsese movie. This week, we are doing The Wonderful Shutter Island from 2010. And joining us as ever for this season slash summer slash Indian summer slash winter of never Scorsese. Ends. The one, it literally never ends. Um, don't worry, we're jumping right from this into Christmas coverage. It's actually, be great. you've actually <laughs> been recording, doing this for two years, Jay. I, uh, yeah, I... And he, and he doesn't look any older. I've, I've, it's been 84 years, dot gif. Yes, so thank you very much for joining us again, no Jay, worries. for this one. And a fantastic guest as well lined up, the wonderful Mr. Kurt North. How are you, Kurt? I'm doing well, mate. I haven't been working all day. Like I said, offline, <laughs> when I said I've been working all day, and that was a complete lie. Um, but yes, uh, I'm, I'm doing all right. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm actually... Strange enough, Darren, you know you know my podcasting um, ways. I have actually got, at the moment, no podcasts to edit. It's, like, unbelievable. So I'm up to date, and uh, I'm chilling out, playing Xbox games and, what, and watching films and stuff. It's been great. And Kurt has off-air promised that he will actually edit this recording as well. So Good thank man. you very much Good for man. that, Kurt. Good really appreciate it. Where, where, where's, um, where's, the, yeah, where's the contract? Where's the, where's the proof <laughs> of that? <Where's> the, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, I have a handy little blackboard I'm going to use to explain this. It's, it'll be fine. <laughs> but yes, so um, actually what we've had, Kurt is the first new guest that we've had on the podcast since Aoife back on Casino. And because we're doing a season of Scorsese movies to get our guests warmed up, we tend to ask a couple of questions about your relationship with Martin Scorsese. So what do you think of Martin Scorsese as a director in general? Do you remember the first film of his that you saw? And what would be your favourite Scorsese film? Right, okay. So I've got a rather unusual thing because I don't tend to follow directors as such, I tend to follow the film types or, um, you know, I know we spoke about the Truman Show a while back. Um, so I like my kind of uh, films like that. And uh, Arrival's got a kind of uh, a link with this film as well, strangely enough. But um, the first film I saw was Taxi Driver, um, which I can't remember how old it would have been. It would have been late teens, I would have thought. Um, and uh, and the, the Gangs of New York, I remember seeing, but I don't remember too much about it. But other than that, I've not actually seen that much. Uh, I'm as much as it I hate to say it. Uh, I'm not a massive fan of the mafia stuff. So, uh, although I want to, I want do want to get into that at, at some point. But it's not something that that interested in in interly gets me in, gets me interested in, into it really. So, um, having said that though, and, and I know I've spoken to you, Darren, about this before that I have watched. Um, the, the latest Scorsese one, obviously, uh, The Irishman. I've seen, I saw that and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that. So I am going to, at some point, um, watch watch that. But I'm more of a, a if, if I watch a director, I tend to be more David Lynch more than anything else. Um, but 
My, as, my, as my favorite film, I would say this one. I'd say Shutter Island, just purely because it's it's the type of film that instantly draws me in, and uh, and it's interesting how I came about this film because I didn't know anything about it watching it, and I watched it um, a lot later than than the, that your cinema release. So it was it was a nice surprise to to find something this good. How much later? Are we talking years? Are we talking like DVD release? Are we talking uh, like talking DVD release, memory? but after Inception? So it would have been okay. it it would have been around either when Inception came out on Blu-ray because I saw Inception loads of times in the in the cinema, but um, it would have been around the time that Inception came out on Blu-ray or DVD, and then I, I kind of went through a bit of a, a a DiCaprio watch at that point. So it would have been around that time. Aaron knows the the year and the date that the Inception <laughs> Blu-ray well, came out. So uh, yeah. You'll be able to. Uh. It will be. It, it'll probably be. It'll be late 2010. It will be. Okay. Yep. Um, by the way, if you are looking to get into Scorsese, we do have a range of podcasts that we would recommend to help you along the way. Um, and the great thing is, as Andrew pointed out, they will never end. Um, but <laughs> is any spoilers in, in any of the previous ones for later ones? Or that's the question. Oh, that's the question. I well, mean, in, that, in the spoiler know, zone, there's spoilers for every movie. So just note yeah, note note every movie that we're covering. Then watch all of those movies, <laughs> and uh, and then listen. Yeah, yeah. Um. All right then. And Jay, what about yourself? So, do you remember the first time you saw Shutter Island? Do I remember the first time I ever I did the Scorsese podcast? It was about twelve years ago. No. Uh, <laughs> um, no. Yeah, I saw it with the Quebec Cinema. Um, and yeah, I I thought it was what twenty ten, so a decade ago. Good lord. Yeah. Um. Yeah. yeah. I, I saw it. Make us all feel old. Yeah. I I saw it liked it and didn't go back to it for quite a few years actually and which we'll kind of get into in a little while but it's an interesting yeah. one in that i kind of left it alone for a while um for various reasons um and then sort of took another crack at it a few years later and then i got a bit more out of it and then i've watched it a couple of times subsequently uh so it's one that's featured heavily and has changed my my viewing of it has changed in the last say two or three years i think um, and it's a very interesting one in that regard. Like, and it's a very interesting one in where it's where it comes out about in Scorsese's filmography. I think, uh. and kind of what it says and what it's doing and how it's and how it's aged. You point out because I think you're you're quite right. You were probably not the only person who was you know perhaps somewhat whelmed by it on initial. Yeah, I, I did like it, um, but yeah, for sure there was a bit of that. Yeah. I mean, the thing about the um, Shutter Island that we mentioned, I think we alluded to it last week when he made The Depart in 2006. Scorsese was just kind of worn out. He was beaten. He was very much in the, of a mindset that if he never made another movie again, he would probably be quite happy. Then he went off and made a Rolling Stones documentary, which feels like the culmination of kind of Scorsese's journey. It's like Scorsese winning an Oscar, making a Rolling Stones concert film. That's pretty much like all his career goals lined up in once. And he ended up doing this, I think, almost by accident because he had wanted to do Wolf of Wall Street. And we'll talk about that when we get to Wolf of Wall Street in about two weeks. Um, but that project hadn't come together with Paramount at the time. And he kind of fell onto this script. Um, and this is an interesting one because it was made around about late 2008. It was not released until 2010. Um, Paramount, apparently, when they saw it, decided that it was not a viable Oscar contender. It was not going to be part of their big push for 2009. By the way, the movie that they chose instead of this one to push was Peter Jackson's The Lovely Bones, 
Uh, so let's just say history has not always been particularly kind on that one. Um, but there's there were a wave of movies that were kind of filmed in 2008, uh, edited in 2008, that didn't necessarily have the kind of ideal uh, release cycle. I think among them, you know, It's Complicated, Up in the Air, Green Zone, Youth in Revolt, Daybreakers, The Wolfman. Apparently 16 of the, of the 28 films released in the first quarter of 2010 actually finished production in 2008. And because of the financial crisis, studios either A, didn't assume that audiences were going to see them, or B, actually in the case of Paramount, did not have the budget to put, you know, to actually put money behind them and to advertise them and to promote them in the way that they should. So Shutter Island was pushed at the very last minute from a 2009 award season release into mid, you know, early 2010, into kind of the dumping ground that is February. And that very immediately kind of set people very anxious about it, very kind of worried about what it was actually like. The rumors that Paramount had seen it and decided, oh, dear God, this is a terrible movie and we've got no idea what we're going to do. When it was released, it was released to reviews that were mixed, to put it charitably. Um, in fact, actually, uh, I've mentioned that on this podcast before that we've been using Richard Chickle's conversations with Scorsese um, as a kind of a touchstone. And where Scorsese goes through each of his movies. And the last one covered is Shutter Island. And the conversation with Richard Chickle over Shutter Island is interesting because Scorsese at one point quite literally says... I can't handle any more criticism of this movie. I don't want to talk about it if I'm going to have to be criticized for it. Maybe it's just a bad movie. I don't know. There's a point where Richard Schickel literally says to him, I'd like to bring the conversation back to Shutter Island. And Scorsese responds, I'd like to leave Shutter Island. Um, which kind of like gives a sense of kind of what the initial response to this movie was. Um, it still had positive reviews, I think, on Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic, but notably less than, for example, The Departed on release, and notably less than, say, Hugo or Wolf of Wall Street or The Irishman. So it's kind of interesting in that respect. It was released in February uh, 2010. It went on to have the highest grossing opening weekend of either Leonardo DiCaprio's or Martin Scorsese's careers to that point. That includes Titanic. It earned more in its opening weekend than Titanic did. Oh, wow. Um, it went on to become Scorsese's highest, gr- yeah, highest grossing movie at the global box office to date, to that point. Again, we'll come back to this, I think, in two weeks when we talk about the next movie. But it's remarkable. Like, he he, d- he just did that with The Departed and he did it again with Shutter Island. Um, it was a movie that, you know, audiences didn't seem to know what to make. It got a C cinema score, which is not generally a very good indicator that audiences liked it. And when we talked about Casino, uh, we mentioned that there are only two movies on the IMDb 250 from Scorsese that have arrived, dropped off, come back on and climbed up again. Shutter Island was one of those. It arrived in 2010 on initial release. It dropped off fairly quickly. It re-entered around 2013 and then has slowly and steadily climbed. And actually, if you look at the graph, it's quite interesting because it's continually climbed even during The Purge when there was a huge culling of movies on the list and everything dropped. Shutter Island continued to rise. So it's a movie that arguably has been kind of reassessed uh, you, in the years. Do you since think release, that it had something kind of to do with the purge? <laughs> oh, I, you <laughs> beat me to it. I wasn't going to interrupt, <laughs> but you beat me to it. Was <laughs> it all carefully orchestrated? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I'm sitting behind a desk with a pipe ready to, to kind of explain this. But no, what about you, Andrew? Do you remember the first time that you saw Shutter Island? Did you see it on first release or did you see it afterwards or... I have no idea. I, I, I think it's possible I saw it in the cinema, but I'm, I'm really, really not sure. Um, cer- certainly don't, um, don't have a clear memory of, um, of, of, of my first time having seen it. 
and I think I possibly might have only seen it once before. Um, okay. But I definitely watched it kind of like in its entirety. It, would, it, it wasn't kind of one of those movies that I came came in on or anything like that. Yeah. Okay, so you actually made a point to watch it sort of thing. You didn't stumble across the television or anything. And, and, and I made a point to watch it when, <laughs> when we were asked to. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew is a professional. Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Feel pretty good about yeah. myself, yeah. <laughs> um. uh, so yeah i guess kind of jay alluded to it there but actually kurt since since you kind of mentioned seeing it in 2010 what was your initial reaction to it and has that changed over the years have you grown more fond of it have you grown less fond of it did you love it on initial release well the because it was a film i didn't know anything about whatsoever i, I went into it so cold that the that obviously the the twist at the end got me and it's it's those type of twists that i particularly like so Although having said that, I've only maybe seen it around three or four times in total, and one of them was today. So yeah, I haven't rewatched it as such, but I think it's because it's because I'm particularly fond of it that um, that I don't really want to do it. Whereas Inception was something different, where you had you know it was rewatchability, where you just had it on. It was just amazing because I'm a massive talking about directors. Nolan is obviously um, one of my another one of mine, which I actually watch every single film of his. But um, from from initial watch from that uh, from that from that twist onwards, um, I've I've just found it really 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 good, and I found the um, the, the psychological aspects and everything that's um, that's involved in the film uh, with it being multi layered. That uh, yeah, it hold, holds a particular um, fondness to me. I think that I think the culmination. What you're talking about the 2013 thing, uh, maybe I don't know if that obviously has the the, the thing of the the DiCaprio effect of. You know, Inception was in the same year, and and that and yeah. that as well. So it's kind of like a a time capsule of that year as well. So it's um, so it's it's particularly fond for that reason. Yeah, no, it's kind of interesting that DiCaprio made Inception and this in the same year, and we're probably talking the spoiler zone about that because it feels very much like very DiCaprio similar. became an Avatar. Yeah, very very similar thematically, anyway, and very much kind of like the same character to a certain extent as well, and the same yeah ideas that play and. You know, I would argue two of the movies that best summed up the twenty tens. Uh, not to jump too far ahead, it's 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 kind of like they did. Um, what was that 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 movie? Um, uh, uh, Death Proof. Where they they did the, the oh Grindhouse, the Grindhouse kind of like <laughs> double feature, and they they got um, <laughs> but it's some other kind of just specific theme where where. Yeah. Where they have um, Scorsese doing one and Christopher Nolan doing the other. Um, so uh, DiCaprio is a very driven man launching an investigation in a mysterious place, and he's possibly got a dead wife. Go, guys, go. Yeah, um, or maybe not. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. Uh, yeah, we're going to be very vague. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, yes, actually, we should. Keeping this vague and kind of abstract, Jay, you mentioned coming back to it in years since and how your kind of opinion changed. What do you think it was that kind of that changed? Was it you, or was it the film, or was it the I, I, world? I think or... it was me. I think and my I think probably my attitude to the material, because I think when it came out, and I remember kind of the the kind of talk around it, it was because of Dennis Lehane was quite in vogue as a writer to get his adaptations of his books as well, and this was kind of, Mystic River. I yeah, think was a Dennis yeah, exactly. Lehane. That was it. That was an Oscar well? winner yeah. as well. I think, and yeah, so it was a big thing, and. I think the how it was sold and how it was advertised 
was as a thriller. And and I subsequently in my watches I find it less thrilling, I guess, in a lot of ways, but I find it a much richer experience. I I, I think it's like the we've said that we've talked about the Scorsese thing over the last a number of weeks about how he can't help himself in terms of what he delves into and what he's interested in and that makes his films to some people quite frustrating and I understand that but he, he could just make the standard thriller thing if he wanted to we we, we talked to particularly with The Departed um, uh, and I think you could argue yeah. the similar here that he, he just you know you're not, you're not going to have an easy time no matter what he does <laughs> because he tends not to do that he could find the easy way out a lot of time and he doesn't and so I think I was a little I don't even think underwhelmed but I was a little frustrated I think when I saw it first because I, I think the kind of the bigger aspects of it washed over me and I liked it and I think it's very stylish and all the rest of it yeah. and very referential to cinema and Hollywood and Sam Fuller and things like that but I didn't I didn't see much beyond that and it's only in subsequent watches that the kind of underlying kind of stuff kind of revealed themselves much more interesting ways I think um, all right, then, because I get the sense this is going to be a very spoiler-heavy discussion, we're going to jump into the three questions to get us all started. So, Kurt, as the guest, um, do you think that Shutter with, Island belongs on a list? With the... further ado. With much further ado. With three questions further ado. Do you yeah. think that... Let's, uh... let's waste no further time. Except for, <laughs> except, except for the pure formula, baby. Pure formula. Yeah. Apart from when we pad out and say, let's not wait, waste yeah. any more time. <laughs> I love, by the way, that Andrew is very much the Ted Levine character, the warden, the angry warden yeah. of this podcast. We've been doing like, this for Darren... centuries and centuries, Darren. That's what we've been <laughs> yeah, doing this for. Yeah, I'm very much the Ben Kingsley with my pipe here going, <laughs> OK, Kurt, let's talk this through. So, Kurt, um, do you think that Shutter Island belongs on the list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? Yes. All right. Just, just, just simply yes. All right, see, yeah. it doesn't have to be thirty minutes. No, um, uh, <laughs> no, no. Yes, um, it, I, I would put it up then in the top of the echelons for, for me personally. But I, I'll put the proviso of it's my type of film. I like my Mulholland drives. I like my arrivals. I like my inceptions. Um, I like my Truman shows. So it's it's that kind of ilk for me. It's the type of film that I naturally gravitate towards. Right. And Jay, what about yourself? Would you consider this to be one of the 250 greatest movies ever made? I kind of hate this question because I can never really answer it. And it, it, every bloody week we go down this road and I was like... Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. It do, yeah, it doesn't make you feel like... It, 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 it doesn't, doesn't make you feel good, you. Andrew. Yeah. Did, 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 you know has Scott done 260 films, though? Do so you have to say yeah. no to at least one of For, them? No, I mean <laughs> probably, probably like with most things, it was probably my idea. Yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> do, you know, yeah. do you know? Remember when we came over and we had a little blueprint? You came up with a little yeah. blueprint. You had a notebook, Andrew. You were the one with yeah. the notebook. Yeah, These bastards. It's um, crazy because it seems like I'm, I have nothing to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's definitely a Rasputin type figure going on in the background. All right. Yeah, yeah. The pulling yeah, yeah. of strings. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. The unedited podcasts are a joy, listeners. Let me just tell you. But as uh, I Jay, I don't know is the answer. It's, and that sounds such a answer in some ways. But it's gone up in my estimation as the years have gone by, and I suspect it may well get there, but perhaps it's not quite there yet. I think it's probably the the laziest kind of fence sitting answer I can give on it. 
Um, yeah, but I mean, it seems it seems fair given like what we talked about—the fact that it is continuously like I would argue its reassessment is not even complete. Yet. Oh, I, I would agree. I, I completely agree. And so, in that regard, I'll I'll, I'll sit out the full answer and in that re- come back to me on the the next Scorsese round in a decade's time <laughs> when we end, when I'm nearly a hundred. Um, and Andrew, what about yourself? Do you think that this belongs the list of the 250 greatest movies of all time? Um, perhaps. Perhaps. Um, um, worse than that I mean, is some good it, hedging. <laughs> it, 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 I mean, it, it, because it has a lot going for it. it it's, um, it has a great twist, which we've alluded to. It has um, terrific score. Yeah. Looks great. Um, there's some like fantastic performances in this. Like it, it's, it's kind of. Um, I think. I think when it comes down to kind of. Um, have um, we hit a, a Scorsese film that isn't Goodfellas that you enjoy? Have we finally done it? Like three weeks out from the end of I, this. I liked Kundun. Fair point. I think. Um, I, I think there's other then. movies that I really admired. Like I, yeah. I thought Raging Bull was just kind of um, objectively good, and that's um, um, obviously Taxi Driver was, uh, but they just weren't my kind of movies. I guess. <laughs> And I don't think I, I guess that if 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 you're you're kind of veering into the the, the, the fair, next fair, question. fair. I mean, fair. I I can I can tell you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... All right, fine. I'll go very quickly on me. Uh, yes, um, I'm going to give an unreserved yes there, which is quite. I think it's the first one I've given on Scorsese Zoom, possibly <clears> outside <throat> of Raging Bull. Um, but yeah, this is um, I would argue a masterpiece. It is a film that is very much you know it's one of the encapsulations of the second decade of the 21st century for me. It's a film that kind of looks at the insanity of the second half of the American century and kind of just maps it out as a study of kind of trauma, a study of kind of like suffering. It's also a fantastic genre piece. It's immaculately put together, as you might expect from Scorsese. It's a fantastic thriller. It's a fascinating character study. Um, The twist is one of those perfect movie twists that works both on first viewing, which is obviously important, but on multiple viewings layers the movie and makes it almost a different movie that is just as good, if not better, than the movie that you watched the first time. Um, so yeah, I think this is an immaculately constructed movie. Um, so I, I would say yes, absolutely. I think that it deserves a place there. And I'm really glad that it's seen the reassessment that it has as the person who came out of it and was like, this is a masterpiece. Eventually the rest of you are copping on. Sorry, this has turned into Darren's little rage corner. It's like the rest of you will see the error and, and of your ways. Now we move on to liars. <laughs> yeah, um, the second section of the list. Yeah, um, the following people are bastards. Uh, yeah. But yes, yeah, so, so un- unreserved yes for me. Absolutely, uh, I think it's a fantastic movie, and I think it's incredible, and I think it's it's deserves its place on this list. Okay, then, Kurt. Second question: Would this be on your own personal two hundred and fifty? Yes. Uh, <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Um, all, all, all sure. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, no, it would. It would. It, it's um, uh, for all the answers I gave above um, from from the last question. It's it's just uh, one of those ones that I don't know if it says more to me, but I tend to like tragic stories and the fact that it ends tragically, potentially. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm just realising I'm trying to avoid spoiler territory. I don't but, think anybody thinks this is going to be a happy ending, regardless of whether you know it or not. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why would you? Why would you cast Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah. <laughs> like, if you're not intended to suffer. Yeah. 
Yeah, Spoiler for he... you, go Andrew. All of the eleven-year-old kids are played by Leonardo DiCaprio, de-aged using pre-Irishman technology. As long as it's not in the um... basketball diaries, then it's a completely different <laughs> film. Yeah, like I feel like he could still probably. Um, it's been a while since he's played a young person because he's been trying to get away from it. But I think if you if 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 he wanted to, he could. <laughs> <laughs> You could you could just arrive and like be playing a a a, 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 a like a fifteen year old kind of like looks like a fifteen year old but he's playing an eleven year old um, yeah he's 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 just he's just looking old these days because he wants to win an Oscar um, another about, Oscar another Oscar. Yeah, that's right. Didn't he, he win one when he was like raped by a bear or he something? Did. Yeah, Re- Revenant. Um, yeah. Revenant. <laughs> the Revenant, yeah. yes. Yeah. The, the movie that ha- well, is not on the 250 anymore, but yes, had the moral panic over the sexual assault by a digital bear. Yes. Well, he deserved it for that. Oh. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, is that, there's is not that many the, actors is who... This the podcast who I, it's who, not a podcast I expected to come on, I tell you. Yeah, this is... <laughs> yeah. Who would go through that. Wow. Um... Leonardo DiCaprio had it coming, apparently, is what we're getting here. Um, but but no, um, more more to the point, though, yes. So it's the more he ate the raw bison liver um, and threatened to kill himself. And, you know, it was basically, you know, seemed like he was going to kill himself unless they gave him an Oscar. Aww. That was basically kind of like the, yeah, that was the... Uh, That's a lovely story. That was the kind of... It is, it is. Leonardo uh, DiCaprio. Yeah, do you not remember that? That was a whole big thing. It was it started around 20, 2006 with The Departed when he didn't get an Oscar nomination. And he basically kept pushing himself further and further. With The Revenant, he ate raw bison liver and apparently almost died on set. Oh, so they were just trying to, to, to kind of help him to, you know, chill, chill out and not kill himself. Well, that was apparently one of the readings of his eventual win was, yeah, Leo, please stop trying to kill yourself, Oscar. <laughs> That's nice, isn't um, it? Like a dramatic intervention. It's like, go and make a movie of Quentin Tarantino. It'll be I fine. Won't, I won't get an intervention like that when I eventually get an intervention. There'll be no Oscars <laughs> at the end of mine. Well, I'm sure we can give you like a fake one. Thanks, Andrew. I appreciate that. And by the way, uh, Jason, thank you for coming here. Um, <laughs> thank you. We're here because we care about Thanks. you. Uh, yeah. So, Jay, what about yourself? Would this be on your own personal uh, I don't know. <laughs> the same as the uh, previous okay. answer. I don't know. Maybe. All right. How would this rank in Scorsese movies in uh, terms of like Scorsese's kind of films? Um, probably top ten. Oh, nice. um, it's yeah, it's 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 getting there, and it, I like when a film starts kind of creeping up a list, as opposed to drifting down yeah. one, which is always a bit sad yeah. occasion. But um, <laughs> yeah, I know it's, it's it's definitely uh, gone higher and higher. I think that's one I kind of always want to return to, which is always a good sign. Yeah. Now, I think I've seen it something like four times in the past two years. Yeah. Um, not consciously. It's it just been on and sure. I've kind of sat down and not watched consciously it. Not consciously, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, I can't watch Baby Driver anymore no, you because can't. everybody involved in that movie is a sex offender. Yes. So, yeah. You really um, call that one. <laughs> I don't know. Do you know <laughs> Baby Driver. I have a really weird thing with Baby Driver because I don't know if there's some sort of series link or something on my sky, but it, I must have recorded about six times. I think Darren so did I that in going... your house. I don't know how he did it. But <laughs> Yeah, there was a time like a year after it came out where I'd watched it 13 times without even realizing I'd watched it 13 times. Okay. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So I haven't watched. The, 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 you're like, well, I'll believe those those allegations <laughs> when they're. Oh, OK. Actually, <laughs> yeah. um, we'll find out, Darren, this is your intervention. 
And Andrew, when you asked me to do a summer of Scorsese <laughs> movies, I was enthusiastic about doing so. I thought it would be a fun thing with a limited amount of time set aside for it. However, Derek. Right, yeah. Do you know what you call this, though? The summer of Scorsese. Ah, uh, sorry. Oh. oh, yeah. Right, let's leave that alone. Let's edit I... that out. <laughs> no, no, that's saying it. I'm going to add a little... I'm going to add some canned laughter as well to make it bounce. Um... All right, so, Andrew, would it be on your own personal 250? No, I'm kind of thinking... I'm sort of thinking... I I was going to say... I was just going to say no, but... Um... There, there is, there's so much, like, there is so much great stuff in it, and there's a lot of stuff as well that kind of almost reaches out and um, and wants me to 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 like it. Like, like, I suppose before I mention some of the personal stuff, like Mark Ruffalo's suit in this is great, <laughs> and so is so is Ben Kingsley's. Um, yeah. and the the, the 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 whole kind of fifties look, yeah, to it is 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 fantastic and something I really enjoyed. But I also kind of also really like um a lot of the the themes of it, um, and they're they're kind of themes of the time, but but twentieth century themes, yeah. um, that's um that I suppose are are are, are still relevant today. Uh, I think um, I think I might. Yeah, it, it's it, it, it. So I I was going to say no, but I I I think I think this this might stand a chance. Like I don't really like Leonardo DiCaprio movies, <laughs> particularly. Well, although, why do you like, discuss I, I, season? That is why. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Well, and, and, and it's it's great, Kirk, because he's actually gotten more enthusiastic in the second half of the season. So, yeah. Yes, he really doesn't like Robert De Niro. <laughs> Having said that, like I, I I I like I do like Inception. There's just something like like I I don't I I don't like being around him. You know, and and I guess that that's kind when of when he like, makes you play volleyball. You know, on the yeah, beach. When, when he and he, hang out um, with his girlfriend after he picks her up. Anyway, never mind. Um, yeah, <laughs> he. Uh, I, I think it's 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 kind of like intentional, though. I guess like that. I think you've spoken about like Scorsese um, finding kind of like what um, Leo is perfect for, um, and maybe kind of Nolan kind of realizing that as well and it's like oh yeah yeah that's uh the the this is what leo is very good at doing it's this kind of like um tortured kind of vulnerable violent um desperate yeah desperate yeah um desperate man yeah um so yeah the, 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 in 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 spite of it being scorsese and um and leonardo dicaprio um, I think I, I think I think it stands a very good chance of of, of being the two fifty. I guess because 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 of some of the thematic stuff. Now, having said that, I, I I don't think it really kind of deals with with it that much. But um, but yeah, it's 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 it, it has a chance. Sorry, that was very long-winded. What's um, new? 
No, well, I mean, hey, he says right before I answer the question. Uh, but yes, I, I would absolutely agree with that. I think that it belongs, it's safely comfortably on my personal 250 as well. I think it was somewhere around eighth on my list of the top 100 movies of the last decade. Um, so I genuinely, truly adore this movie. And again, it, it's a lot of the stuff that Andrew mentioned as well. Thematically, this is the perfect Darren movie. And we'll probably talk about this later on in the spoiler zone. Because it has all the stuff, all the stuff that Darren really likes with a nice, crunchy, nuggety core in it. In terms of like its themes that it deals with. It's kind of, again, very much a movie like, about... I push westwards, disappointment <laughs> about the moon landing. Disillusionment. Um, yeah. The ocean being a big vagina. Yeah, I mean, it opens on the um, ocean as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's got all of those great Darren ideas in there. This kind of like, this kernel of like disappointment with the American century, this sense of creeping self-doubt, and of course the acknowledgement that water is inherently sapphic. Yes, Andrew, it has all of those things going on deeply within it. So I appreciate you pointing them out. But no, I, I do, I genuinely do think that if you were looking for a movie that encapsulates like the past decade of like, America's self-image crisis, and arguably the Western world's self-image crisis, you could probably do a lot worse than the movie that we're talking about right now. And then final question, Kurt, if listeners have not seen Shutter Island, would you recommend that they pause the podcast, stay at home and stream it to a local device? Yeah, I would. And I'd say try to do as as little. And you've already got to, what, 30 minutes already of listening to us yabber on about it. But try to uh, go into it cold. Uh, I personally think if you go into it cold, you'll probably get more out of it. And as I say, on repeat viewing, uh, it'll 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 freshen it out, and um, yeah, I, I think you need you need to just go in with uh, not not no expectations because I think that's probably a bad word or terminology to use, but to go in with no expectations and just just let it let it sink in and and take it from there, but be prepared. I, I would say as well. And Jay, uh, yeah, dude, um, I think and. You know, one of these one of these nice little things that you know it's on Netflix. A lot of people, more people, probably just stick it on because you'll go past and see the Caprio's mug anyway, um, staring out at you. Yeah. And I think a lot of people will probably watch it in that regard, uh, which is a good thing. Yeah, I'd I'd, I'd stop listening to me and watch it. Um, and Andrew, yeah, no, I I would um I would recommend people people watch it. And yes, obviously don't don't listen to the spoilers before watching, but but um. Also, they, 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 um, this is coming out well after um, um, Halloween, isn't it? Yes, unfortunately. Um, yeah. They, 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 Would this they, have been they, a good Halloween movie? It, it might have been. It might have been. Those pumpkins it, it's on very, the wall, just incredible. It's very, it's, it's very <laughs> traumatic. And there are moments in the movie that feel like a Halloween scare house. Um, so, and there are um, ghosts, I suppose, actually, in a very literal yeah. sense, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, which yeah, it is. It is. It is traumatizing. Um, um, but I, I, um, with that, with that warning, um, I recommend that people make make some time to watch it. Yeah. Um, and I'd agree with that. I think the only thing that I would note is that um, some accounts I've read have described it as the most accurate cinematic recreation of a migraine ever intended. Uh, and to be clear, what? Scorsese is trying. Do you to get migraines, Darren? I I do not. That's why I've. That's I why get I've... migraines, and the description that Ben Kingsley gives was <laughs> over the <laughs> top. I think drama queens <laughs> who get migraines um, probably <laughs> find that this is the perfect movie. To kind of no no I I do have to admit when I have a migraine that's it like no, no like stop they, actually you've known me uh, to, yeah. to have a migraine I think I, I think I did a record 
one time after like vomiting like several times <laughs> with this migraine that I got watching was it one of the Avengers movies? Oh it like Endgame? Yes, yes it was. Like we went to the cinema to see I think it was either Endgame or Infinity War and you didn't tell me you had a migraine before. I probably would have told you it was a bad idea going in. But yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 um, On the other hand, the, 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 the conversation the, was a lot less migraine-inducing, I believe. I hope. Yeah, I, th- I think I had my eyes closed for, like, the, <laughs> the entire time. We ended up getting a taxi. It, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Sorry, this has been the secret no, life of it, Darren and Andrew. Um. This is making it seem like it is as bad as Ben Kingsley does. <laughs> it's pretty bad. <laughs> but the, 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 but the, 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 the Ben Kingsley description is, is just very kind of... Um, like uh, yeah dramatic <laughs> as opposed to everything else in this movie which is understated and kind of like very by the numbers um okay yeah and i suppose it's good for migraine sufferers to overstate like how how bad it is because at various times they'll need everyone to shut up and leave them alone um, yeah all right um, all right then so yeah i i would say if they're going as well with that in mind then we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Zone. They're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> they were dead all along. <laughs> so, Kurt, baby, why are you all wet? Ooh. Ooh. Starting straight off the bat. I, I was going to say that, and you've beat me to it. I can't believe it. Um, you've gotten to the, the 250 after dark. Yeah, the, two, um, <laughs> the 250 lighthouse. Um, I like how, how he, actually, yeah, he actually repeats it exactly the way Ben Kingsley did as well. Baby, why are you so wet? All wet. <laughs> um, All wet. So, yeah. <laughs> um, please, it's a different kind of podcast, Kurt. Um, and, Baby. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and yes, in, key- in keeping with Andrew's sort of mention of what the ocean stands for, what does the lighthouse represent, I wonder, as I put a pipe in my mouth? And let's say, Kurt, what yeah. is Shutter Island about for you? <laughs> and what does it mean when when Leonardo DiCaprio is smoking his own cigarette? Um, are, are, are not smoking his own cigarette. Um, no, sorry. That's um, all right. Uh, trauma. Uh, I think I said this strangely about Truman Show as well, but strangely <laughs> enough, it's very linked in with Truman Show. Um, no, I, I think uh, I think the, the trauma, especially the uh, the the build up and the, the dealing with it, um, especially from the war aspect and right through to to what he actually does. Uh, just just having just having to deal with that and um from an emotional point of view because i'm somebody actually that compartmentalizes quite a lot and um you know i very rarely talk about my home life either in this or in this kind of sphere on podcasts at work or at home i'm basically they're all compartmentalized and um i do struggle um to actually talk emotionally about stuff and it's one of the things that that i i'm aware of that that i do and and there is aspects, and sometimes I do kick myself when you know I should have really said something, or I should have like um, talked to somebody about something, and and you know gets me down and builds up inside me, and 
I'm very much a person who's very calm and cool, collected over the course of like five years. And then five, after five, six years goes by, I'll blow up and I'll in whichever direction that may well be. Um, and seeing this from from that, from the way that um, Teddy kind of develops over that, the, the second persona and the, the things that he doesn't, um, that, that he, he does to shy away from that. The, the, a perfect example would be the, the 67th patient letter where, um, you know, um, Chuck offers him the letter and he just de- de- declines to read it because he knows what it is. He knows what it is. Um, so, so from that point of view, as a reflection on me, I kind of feel it from that, that, that you get that. And, um, you know, without going into too much detail, you know, it's not necessarily as trauma as bad as, as what Shutter Island is, but, you know, something's uh, quite serious happened in my life in 2009 and from, uh, and, and slightly before that with my brother dying as well, that there's aspects of that, that I can see as a reflection with me. So that, that's what I see in this film. Yeah, it is. It's it's very much a kind of a story of of kind of dealing with that of trauma and the way in which we create narratives around ourselves or kind of like insulate ourselves away from that and kind of protect ourselves from it. It's uh, yeah, and again, it's one of the things I think it uses DiCaprio rather well. I think Andrew alluded to it. We talked about Scorsese and and DiCaprio's partnership and how it enriches both of them. <clears throat> I know Jay. I believe you think that uh, DiCaprio's finest performance is Wolf of Wall Street, and maybe it is. But I think that perhaps I think it is. Yeah. But I can but, I can see arguments for others, but yeah, for me, I think it is. But I think that um, Shutter Island probably uses him best in that, like it's it's perhaps arguably the most sympathetic that I think DiCaprio has been playing a conventional DiCaprio character. I probably agree with that because you do. I I watching it, my heart breaks for Andrew or Teddy every time I watch it. Um, and I end up feeling sorry for him, despite knowing that he's violent and despite knowing that he's hurt people and despite you know all all the kind of stuff that goes on and all the stuff that all the consequences that accrue from his inability to process his trauma i think that he's as vulnerable a protagonist as scorsese has produced perhaps or at least he's yeah well of- my um but my, my my partner was watching i was watching it again just downstairs just just skimming through it before we came to record and uh, we got to the scene where he goes into the lighthouse at the end and she said she actually turned around and said, you know, you can see it in his face. You can see the the build up of of him realizing or not wanting to let go of that situation. So the fact that that that, that my my partner's picking up on that as well, and uh, and she's she's really astute with that kind of thing. But it was a particular comment that she made. And it was like, yeah, I can see that, and I'm exactly echoing what you're saying, Darren. It's that kind of it's very relatable as well because it's a it's this human ability to create stories in order to kind of um, um, manage the kind of ups and downs and to tell us kind of, um, well, this happened, but here's how I feel about it. Um, or, or, or to even change what happened. Um, like, the, I noticed it kind of like a very mild example, but it's, it's, it's one that gets brought up when you're talking about kind of like, the ability of people to to tell stories to themselves. Um, Pete Best was the drummer for the Beatles and uh, got sacked, but he says like, "I think it's the best thing that ever happened to me." And I think I my my life's been um, um, I'm like happier than I would have been if I had been in the Beatles. While that is quite possibly true, 
it's also exactly what like Pipas would tell himself. Because what else would he tell himself? It's like, you know, he'd be like, I I, I blew it. I got kicked out of the Beatles. Like, um, I had the chance to be in the Beatles and I'm not. Um, but the, the, and so it's, it's, it's that thing that's very relatable, but especially to, to, to something quite kind of um, traumatic. Like we need, we need to, and it's amazing finding out kind of that things aren't as you kind of um, remember them. Were, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I think I've told you, Darren, the story about how I used to get like uh, the the kicked out of me in, in school, like the whole way throughout. But I always figured it was because people were jealous and because like, <laughs> you know, I was a great kid and like they were beating me up for no reason. And then <laughs> I, I met somebody, like when I was in secondary school, I was talking to somebody and I was saying like, um, oh, yeah, those people were terrible, weren't they? And it's like, no, they're, they're fine, they sound. It's like, but they used to beat me up. It's like, yeah, you'd make fun of them. <laughs> so they were stupid. And then they beat you up. Like, you kind of left them no choice. It just you kind of kept on teasing them. I was like, oh, that is not how I remember things. I had constructed a completely different reality from the, the like, a, a victim. Um, yeah, rather, rather, rather than the complete asshole. Um, because I don't want to face that reality. <laughs> and then we had to stage a little intervention for you as well, uh, complete with sort of psychiatrist as well. I'm actually your psychiatrist, Andrew. I don't want to tell. I didn't mean to tell you that. Um, but yeah, it's okay, well, boss. Need, we'll get you, through this together. It's it, it's not going to do any good, Darren, unless you have like a Max Richter <laughs> a um, score, score to, to play into over a, it. Into a company. Yeah. Actually, Andrew, your name's not Andrew. It's Teddy. <laughs> <laughs> Have you noticed anything unusual about the names, Andrew? Um, but yes, um, they're anagrams. I'm not going to tell you which names they are. Listeners can deduce that on their own. But no, um, I do think there is something kind of interesting there in terms of, because again, this is something Scorsese does repeatedly through his filmography. We talked about it on Taxi Driver, we talked about it on Raging Bull. This idea of kind of how inherently subjective his films are and how they're always very much told from the perspective of the person going through them. And that's why... You know, they are so uncomfortable. That's why you had the moral outrage over Wolf of Wall Street, because that's from Jordan Belfort's kind of point of view. And the movie doesn't necessarily pause to tell the audience that this is wrong. Or Taxi Driver, why Taxi Driver feels so uncomfortable, because you never leave Travis Bickle's head. Or why Raging Bull feels so uncomfortable. I think Jay pointed out it's because you never actually physically get out of kind of the head of that character there as well, Jake LaMotta. And I think that like Shutter Island works really well because it, it basically weaponizes that. The audience spends so much of the movie trapped inside Andrew or Teddy's head. You know, you have the fantastic point of view shots as they come up to the gates of the compound, where you're actually literally staring at what he's staring at. But throughout, you have these wonderful little continuity errors, um, which are remarkable and disconcerting throughout, which kind of give you the sense that what you're watching is not reality. What you're seeing happen happening on screen doesn't make sense. It doesn't flow from one scene to the next. Characters will change position in a shot, for example. They'll seem to be turning round and then the camera will cut and they'll be facing another direction. Uh, glasses of water will empty or fill or even completely disappear in one particular cut. Um, and even characters themselves, actors will replace other characters in cuts within dreams. It's all, again, very... It places you very firmly and very uncompromisingly inside the head of the main character. And I think that that's like 
something that works remarkably well because it's something Scorsese's been doing for all his career, but works well because it's, you know, it makes the twist of the movie make sense. Because you can buy that everything you've seen or most of what you've seen has been Teddy's attempt to deny reality up until that point without feeling cheated, perhaps. Is that fair? Yeah. I can live with that. Oh, cool. All right. <laughs> All right. Anything then. else anybody wants to say about this? <laughs> 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 we just, just wrapped up. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Just sort of yeah. back up. And All much right. earlier than usual. Um, finally, like. I was going to uh, mention the jump uh, cuts at the end, and then I was going to go off. How can we it. find you on Twitter? Uh, yeah. Anything you want to recommend? All right then. Um, okay, moving on. Moving on from from Teddy and, and Andrew. Then apparently, um, but yes. So no, no, no. I mean, is it is it is it is it? Um, I I know it's 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 different, obviously from from. Well, it's it's not in a way like like the the dead wife stuff. Is is it a bit too, um, kind of cliched, um. Here, like the similarities between this and Inception, um, Inception is, is are incredible because it like, like he he's, um, and particularly if you look at say Bill Jabari's reading of Inception, where Bill Jabari argued that like the real story of Inception is basically an intervention to go inside Cobb's head and to get Cobb to come home to his family finally once and for all at the end of the movie to let go of the reality that he's been chasing and accept that he needs to come home to well, his kids yeah i mean, I mean, so. I mean that makes that makes a lot of sense like ari Edney yeah. is kind of a a therapist throughout yeah. Sorry. yeah so i mean if, if you look at it that way they are arguably just two very different takes on the same movie as if you started with the same premise and bifabricated it um and i think yeah that, i think that like and i did Tom Hardy is an orderly. <laughs> He's just there to do his job, you know, <laughs> move things um, around. Yeah. Um, um, Tom, Tom Hardy is one of those people who actually, like one of the things I really like about Shutter Island is as it goes on, rewatching it, you can tell that there are people on the island who are into what's happening. And there are people on the island who are not into what's happening. Which is, again, one of those... It's a really small touch, but it's great. So you can tell, for example, that the the kind of warden who's played by John Carroll Lynch, like, genuinely believes in what they're doing. But, like, there's also a couple of sequences where, like, characters literally is corpse. He, is he the Zodiac Killer? Yes, he's yes. the Zodiac Killer. Well, if he was, he wouldn't tell you, Andrew. Um, but yes, <laughs> yes, he is. Um, but, uh, and, and I love that they have the Zodiac Killer brings him to the, is the warden who brings him to the island. And like the killer from Science of the Lambs is the warden who brings him back at the end. So it's like, yep, yeah, this is, this is who's literally running this, this mental institution. But like you have him on one hand, but then on the other hand, you have like Max von Sydow, who is clearly not there for anything that's going on. Um, or even like the character who's played by Ted Levine, who's like, if I were to bite your eye, do you think you could stop me before I blinded you? <laughs> um, or even just like the security guards or the war, like when he's interviewing the the nurses, like them sitting there going, what the hell is Ben Kingsley making us do again? This is not part of the deal. This is not yeah. shift work. I better be getting time and a half for this. Well, then of course you get um, Rachel one, Emily Mortimer, who's like the best <laughs> actress that you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A lot of, lot of good improv there, I have to say. Like there's a really good, like yeah. tight improv community. Like you get the sense that like, you know, Mark Ruffalo's character, Chuck, and the original Rachel number one, they probably should start like a theater troupe on the island, if nothing else. Because they're really committed to what they're doing. It's like all in. Yeah. This place would be great. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> but not actual improv, though, because it, uh, I think we've talked about it, like it. It always seems to me that that Leonardo DiCaprio gets really <laughs> uncomfortable <laughs> when people start improvising. Yeah, I want to put. I want to see DiCaprio in a Will Ferrell comedy. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> actually, they're an uh, an appetite. Yeah. Where, yeah. <laughs> they're actually they're actually interviews around this time. I think Roger Ebert did one with him where he asked, "Would he push himself into a comedy?" And Leo's response was, "I'm really happy doing the movies that I'm doing." Um, <laughs> just, yeah. <laughs> it's like, would would you date someone your own age? I'm <laughs> really I'm happy. Doing happy. What I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, Love, by the way, fun fact. Uh, yeah, when, yeah. Fun fact: When you look at DiCaprio interviews, uh, whenever he talks about Scorsese, he typically says "Mr. Scorsese," which is kind of adorable. It's not like Marty. I've made five movies with him, and he's still Mr. Scorsese to me, uh, which is kind of adorable. But yeah, I kind of, I, I do, I, I like that kind of tension that exists where, when you're rewatching it, you can tell who's into it and who's not into kind of like the weird committed role play that they have on the island. And I think it kind of, it works rather well. And that's like, it's, it's remarkably well constructed because you watch it and all of the stuff adds up, which is, is very remarkable for a movie with a twist like this. So, you know, little things like even the fact his introductory line is pull yourself together, Teddy, as if he's bringing the personality together. The fact, you know, the fact that Rachel's story is the story of his wife, you know, and the fact that he has such contempt for her, the fact that even like the other, uh, you know, inmates are institutionalized patients, sorry, not prisoners, patients. Uh, seem to like be rehearsed have like actually learned their service lines users yes yeah, the other service users have all played along as well like it, it's a remarkably well constructed genre piece i think just in terms of like storytelling everything kind of fits together everything goes in its place which is remarkable when you consider how unnerving it is like everything lines up perfectly but it still feels uncanny or kind of like it still feels haunting which is rare because you'd imagine it would feel more like a piece of clockwork even though yeah. it doesn't. I think that's a, re- a remarkable feat. I think there's two um, scenes where you could kind of point to that is that when um, Ben Kingsley's explaining the the drowning and DiCaprio kind of kind of winces and like that seems familiar and the uh, the police doing the search where they're, they're not interested at all. They're like throwing <laughs> stuff into the water. It's <laughs> like, like idly. Yeah, the, so say yeah. whatever. Um, yeah, but on on first watch, you know, you just you just kind of like go, well, what, what's happening yeah. there? And they just have taken a break, and then obviously, when second watch, you get you get a much uh, deeper um, question. Or all those it. reaction shots of Mark Ruffalo when they're all, when everybody's talking about how handsome Lester Sheehan is, which is a lovely touch as well. Yeah, because again, on on first watch, <laughs> on first watch, you're like, is he jealous? And then it's like, oh, okay, I see what I see what's going on here. Um, but yeah, no, there's a lot of really good stuff like that, which I think works well with with a twist like this, but. Um, all right then. In, in yeah, no, I was going to say, like, thematically, um, see, ob- obligatory Robocop reference by two, because it, it's the, the 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 idea of you you can never take away all a man's memories, and also the 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 the, the kind of idea the twentieth century, kind of, well, not just twentieth century. I suppose it's kind of since the industrial revolution, the the whole kind of um, um, morality, um, not being able to kind of keep up with the the, the the relentless kind of march of technology, um, and kind of the the um, being so quick to 
to do things that you never uh, stop to question like why or whether you should um yeah um which 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 i thought was a very a very kind of um powerful but it, like both of those things together um i mean i i, I don't know i don't I don't know if 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 each of them maybe got an uh, you know had an, an enough of an exploration in the movie, um, but they were they were they were definitely there. You know, I think I think it 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 the the timing of the piece as well, in terms of the second theme of 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 morality versus the the, the kind of. You mean when you say the time? Yeah. You mean the setting of nineteen fifty four or the release of two thousand and ten? Nineteen fifty four. They 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 make reference to the the hydrogen bomb, bomb and the television the super bomb. Yeah, yeah. They also make reference to television, radio. Um... Yeah, but it, the, 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 it's it's more the the the, the harmful um, effects of technology, but also I guess ideology. Like the, yeah. the, the um... House on Americans Activities Committee comes up as well, for example. Yes, yeah. yeah. Huac. Um, yeah. The idea of a socialist they... just wandering around, or George Nice is a young socialist, for example. And references yeah. to MK Ultra as well in terms of mind control and drugging and stuff. <clears throat> yeah, see, this is the great Darren stuff. And this is a real thing, though. Oh, it, yeah, like, to be absolutely yeah. clear. Yeah, I've, read, yeah. I've read books, there yeah. was all sorts of um, experiments done, all the way up to including kind of the time of the Vietnam War, like on. on uh, Kind of injured soldiers and stuff outside of American kind of Canadian hospitals and stuff. This yeah. went on for a long, long time oh, yeah. in the states. Uh, um, government sanctioned money put put to the side by whomever groups managed to get it and do this. I mean, this is this is very much America's uh, issue. Yeah, in that regard, and I think that's what holds for me in the film. Like, I mean, it, we talk about ideology that, and I remember reading a a review of this when it came out and. It made the point, and I think it's a mistaken point, that they show uh, the sign for Auschwitz, the sign above the gate. Yeah. But it's actually Dachau. Yeah. That uh, thing. But I that was quite deliberate. And I think it speaks to what you were saying in terms of uh, the misma- mismanagement of memory and how all these things come together into a kind of, I don't know what you call it, almost like a, a hole that America has buried all this stuff in. Yeah, the kind like, of collective and, unconscious, and, the gestalt, the repression. And, yeah, it's the proverbial that witch on web look uh, clip. You know, are we the baddies? Kind of a uh, bit yeah. that America is responsible for a lot, whilst it whilst it, lay, it lays all the blame on your Japan and Germany and various other things. And we we the hydrogen bomb and where did it came from? Is 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 all very much present? Correct. And I think Andrew's right. I think it is ideology. And technology comes hand in hand with that. Yeah. Um, I, there's a couple of things that we should probably come back to. So I'll put a bit in, in the Holocaust stuff and come back to that in, in a moment because I think there's a bit to discuss yeah. there. But this is actually interesting because, again, we talked about this being like the sweet spot in terms of like Darren's film stuff that he enjoys or pop culture stuff that he enjoys. And I know Kurt from an X-Files podcast. So I know Kurt knows that I love this stuff anyway. But it's exactly the stuff that Jay mentioned, which is this fear that you've had simmering away in the American subconscious, often barely articulated and often best articulated in kind of pulpy genre fare. So shows like The X-Files, for example, Um, but shows that are basically or sort of like stories that interrogate the, the kind of question of 
the Americans fought World War II and the narrative of World War II is that it was the victory of democracy over fascism. It was liberty over tyranny. It was the good war. You fought in order to liberate the concentration camps or that sort of stuff. You have this narrative about the greatest generation who fought these battles and won these battles. But in the years since, as stuff like the stuff that Jay has described has come out, stuff like, say, the MK Ultra experiments, which were done by lacing, you know, LSD and, you know, and I think the in brothels and bars even, to pick examples, um, stuff like the Tuskegee syphilis experiments in which African-American men were exposed to syphilis and monitored rather than treated in order to further knowledge along those things. Things like the radiation trials, which I think the Clinton only apologized for in 1994. Um, these kind of history of, like, exploitation of people in in the United States in terms of kind of like technological advances that Andrew alluded to. Even things like, you know, Operation Paperclip, which I think we mentioned when we talked about the third man, the idea that after the end of the Second World War, the Allied powers got in there as quickly as possible to hoover up all the scientists who had done these terrible things um, in these terrible environments because they would be useful for space medicine, for getting people into space. By the way, it's actually called space medicine, um, for getting people into space and for helping the space race and the space program. In fact, it was so successful that I think a couple months later, the Allies actually greenlit Operation Accelerated Paperclip, where they took anybody without any questions asked away from Germany and relocated them to the States. You had like, they, I think... They, it, they, they greenlit it so quickly that they, they didn't even think of a new name. Yeah, the, just just Accelerated yeah. Paperclip, yeah. It's paper... Not, not like uh, exa- Operation Staple <laughs> yeah. or something. Yeah. Oper- Operation Clippy. <laughs> we see that you're trying to help Nazi war criminals escape. Would you like some assistance with that? Um, but yeah, like, and the fact that, like, I think... There that was, was actually an Einstein version of, of Clippy. <laughs> like, he, 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 he's a, 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 a German... A German scientist who 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 escapes, but he escaped before, not after, um, <laughs> yeah, for a different reason. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like I mean, things like, for example, the the renaming of the library um, at the U.S. Air Force Base, um, sorry, in the Los Angeles Air Force Base, like from Uberta Strughold, after it was discovered that Uberta Strughold had conducted ex- human experimentation during the Second World War at concentration camps, and this again was in 1994. Um, so this was all like stuff that was kind of bubbling through the American subconscious towards the end of the 20th century and into the 21st. And I think that Shutter Island covers a lot of that remark, covers that, a lot of that very well. Like it's it's that wonderful thing. I think when we talked about conspiracy theories, Andrew made the point, what's terrifying about conspiracy theories is, you know, first of all, how many people believe in incredibly insane ones. But the most one of the most terrifying things is that some of the conspiracy theories, like the Gulf of Tonkin, have turned out to be true. Things like MK Ultra have turned out to be true. Things like Paperclip have turned out to be true. And so a lot of the like seemingly insane stuff that the characters talk about in Shutter Island. You know, a lot of the stuff that, you know, Teddy's talking about experimentation and kind of, you know, Chuck is kind of steering him on. That stuff is not based in fiction. That stuff is based in actual American history that's been documented and written about. And therefore it becomes unsettling. And it's it's that thing that jay alluded to with the holocaust um, and with the use of the holocaust and again there were a lot of criticisms about the portrayal of Dachau. things like say even the fact that the inmates were wearing clothes um, and stuff like that which was not how they were found uh details like that that they were lined up and shot rather than piled out of trains and frozen um details like this is yeah they had the covers over that because yeah nobody wants to face that as well yeah that's it well it's also yeah it's, it's also because it's kind of the memory exists separate from from the thing yeah and I guess actually, like, yeah, we should probably talk a little bit about the kind of Holocaust stuff because I think this is Shutter Island is interesting because Scorsese famously turned down the opportunity to make Schindler's List, 
In fact, he actually traded Schindler's List to Spielberg for Cape Fear back in 1992. Um, and his argument was that he didn't think that a non-Jewish person was the right person to make that story or to make that movie. And he didn't think as a Roman Catholic he had the necessary perspective. And I think, you know, this is interesting with Shutter Island because Shutter Island obviously references the Holocaust. You have sequences set at Dachau. You have nightmares set at Dachau. And I think that, you know, some criticism of the movie, and I think that criticism is entirely fair. This is the argument about, like, the sanctity of the memory of the Holocaust, and particularly, like, the idea of it as a trauma experienced by Jewish people and people of other minorities and kind of, you know, um, gay people and, and kind of people, Roma people as well, for example. And the idea of not minimizing that by treating it as, you know, something general or something vague. But I do think that what Shutter Island does is it captures the enormity of the insanity of it to an outside observer. Yeah. Um, so, like, I, I remember being in school and reading about the Holocaust in history and having a reaction that I think... Shutter Island captures emotionally, which is a sense that this is, you know, this is insanity. This is something that obviously happened. And it, it to be clear, it obviously, it was orchestrated, it was planned, it materialized ahead of time. It was something that was the end point of rhetoric that, you know, Hitler had been speaking since the 30s. Um, it wasn't something that emerged out of thin air. You know, debates about who knew what when and kind of like the fact how much Americans did or did not know about what's happening to the Jewish people, the fact that refugees were arriving... All that sort of stuff is very important and not to gloss over it. And worth, sorry, worth pointing out as well that, you know, Nazis had rallies in Madison Square Garden. Yeah, in, in the late 30s as well, well, the American Nazi Party, Party yeah. which is terrifying. Yeah. So There's actual footage. are kind of forgotten. Yeah. There is actual footage. Uh, yeah. yeah, and they're actually, they're, they're all tied together. And again, not to minimize any of that, but the, like, emotional reaction to something like the Holocaust or something, the horror of the Holocaust, to me, as somebody who is not Jewish, who is Irish, who's not uh, German, who's not American, um, that emotional reaction, that realization that people did this um, is is quite close, I think, to what Shutter Island captures. It's that sense that we are living in a kind of a world that is spiraling outside any understanding of base rationality. That like, again, you know, that, that old cliche about a movie that's set in a psychiatric institution where maybe it's the people outside the psychiatric institution who are insane, but like not treated as a glib one-liner, taken like to its serious end point, which is... You know, you have Teddy come home from the Second World War having seen these things. And it's like, is the world insane? And I mean, you know, we Jay mentioned things like the hydrogen bomb, uh, which implodes and which obviously killed, you know, millions, of, sorry, thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And, you know, that's something. Oh, no, sorry. Ex- that, 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 um, that's the, the, the atom bomb. That's the atom bomb. Sorry the, about the, that. Yeah, no, the... the, the um, I think the, the the anxiety at the time was that um, in '49 uh, Russia had developed their own okay. um, atom bomb, and that in in uh, the, the the reference the, the reference in the movie is to the uh, atolls. So the 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 the, the, the American testing exactly. There was actually there. I was looking at a picture of an island. In, in in the Marshall Islands, um, that used to be there and now isn't. That that it was completely of... vaporized. And there, the, 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 that there were, that there was a um, it was a Japanese fishing boat, um, maybe twenty or thirty miles away, where the where the the, the people on board um, were affected by radiation poisoning, and that the. the 
it, 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 like almost a decade later was reminding Japanese people of the, um, that this stuff was still out there. And it inspired a lot of the, the, um, um, the, the kind of Godzilla story. Um, because kind of Godzilla didn't come out of Hiroshima or Nagasaki, it came from, out of the from, ocean from these Pacific islands yeah. where the Americans were testing kind of nuclear weapons. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, the the basically the, the idea that kind of the world is is completely insane that like everything that the the human mind has no frame of reference for what has happened. You know, the accelerationism basically that Andrew mentioned, like at the in the second half of the twentieth century that things move so quickly and so fast and on such a large scale that there's really no way to understand it. And I mean, again, you know, I mentioned film and I mentioned the idea of kind of television and radio when the inmates talks about like she hears enough voices already as it is. But this idea that even even things like that affect the way in which we process information, the way in which we kind of like the, the amount of signal that's coming towards us, the the noise that we're kind of filtering through and the idea that, yeah, that that kind of, you know, the second half of the 20th century or kind of the beginning of what was known as the American century is kind of steeped in, in madness. And again, it's something that feels like it could be a trite cliche, but I think the movie handles it well enough that it doesn't, it feels, it feels earned. You know, it doesn't feel like it's schlocky. It doesn't feel like it's cheap. It feels like it's genuinely making a kind of a well-observed point. Yeah. Well, I think, I think a lot of the things of what you've said there about with the, the Scorsese kind of, uh, and that aspect of Auschwitz and stuff, uh, is an interesting one, and I think that he was probably right to to go the the route that he did with the the snow and the and the train cars and stuff. But it also from a from a narrative point, you know, I think we kind of alluded to it before about fragmented memories. The fact that you know within the story narrative itself, he doesn't want to necessarily go back to that memory, but we're we're seeing it through there, and whether or not you you know are things the, the same? Do you remember things the same way in which you you saw them? And especially with something as horrific and as traumatic as the the event which set off this whole entire narrative. There's also a kind of a an American forgetfulness about the Holocaust, I guess, in the fifties because of McCarthyism. And it's kind of like weren't weren't you a a communist or didn't you support communist um, kind of movements during during these years? And it's like yeah the communists were fighting fascists or it's like yeah were you a member of the communist party in in germany it's like yes it was fighting the nazis well right? i mean even, like, even in the, the united states being prematurely yeah. anti-nazi was a was like something that could get you dragged in front of huac being prematurely yes, anti-nazi yeah. yeah people people who were kind of involved like in, jack warner in, i think yeah yeah and like the people who were because in 1943 kind of like russia were the the gallant allies yeah charlie chaplin for example yeah yeah of 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 america and then and you were you were kind of they were helping the the british but there was there there was like almost immediately a kind of a um a distinction but not in the mind of everyone because it was a it was a it was like it was an fdr uh, presidency and a lot of the kind of um, liberal causes of um, uh, New Deal Democrats were 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 the same causes that were um, being championed by um, by communists, but but to more of an extent. Like yeah. there there were there, in in America, they were involved in a lot of kind of anti segregation um, uh, politics and around kind of um, 
like other kind of more uh, pro pro progressive kind of ideas. Um, and to just kind of labor rights, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, 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 but the, the, the forgetfulness about kind of what, what, um, what the communists or the Russians um, and the, the, the communists in Spain as well, what, um, of what they stood against um, and what happened in, in Europe. Um, the, the the way the way that America kind of forgets that um, in the in the fifties and in the late forties is 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 definitely something that this movie kind of brings because because it's it's him it's 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 Teddy reminding them I guess it's him confronting that fifties thing as well with um you know, with the, the kind of the perfect wife, the kids, the supermarket, the suburban lifestyle. Yeah. That's all alluded to that DiCaprio in theory had. Yeah, the and, ideal. Uh, yeah. Or the fragmented, yeah, the exactly American ideal, the post-war spoils yeah. of, a, of a new society and, you know, the, the biggest country, emerging as the biggest country on earth, that we're all going to enjoy it and it's all going to be beautiful. But they're bringing unimaginable madness and trauma home. Yeah. Um, that's something that I think Scorsese's pointed out is that he's because again, like The Departed, Scorsese arguably sees The Departed as a movie about the war on terror, um, and particularly the idea of a new war that doesn't have a clear cut enemy like the Second World War. I think that you know he said that like he's wondering about with the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, which would have been happening you know around the time that he was developing this, and he was wondering like what traumas are those veterans going to bring home with them. And and For like sure. how as a society are we going to deal with those? Because again, it's it's worth noting, you know, the, it, one of the big touchstones of the early war and terror era was kind of like McCarthyism. Things like say rebranding and renaming, you know, French fries as freedom fries and stuff like that, mm -hmm. or you know, the pushing of of particular kind of agendas and the idea of kind of falling in line behind the the kind of the war or, or being seen as as kind of like being you know weak or weak willed or foolish. So I, I kind but, of like I wonder if that parallel is. It makes a lot of sense in in terms of the departed, because the, the, of the, uh, that kind of idea of betrayal. Yeah, and it's like kind of where where I I thought these were the bad guys, sort of or is it, um, like the whole idea of kind of America having supported and allowed um, these 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 people to 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 kind of um, continue and to to um, to fund them, I guess. Um, um. All right then. Um, in sorry, in terms of, of um other stuff. Sorry, Jay, did we cut you off there when you were going to say something? About yes. No, 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 no. Sorry, Jay. Okay. No, um, you did not. Um, no, I, 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 I would agree with a, a lot of Andrew's saying. I think, um, I think Scorsese has, and we've discussed this in various different films of his in the la uh, over the last number of weeks about that kind of uh, that kind of delusional, paranoid, angry male kind of figure stalking around the place. And I, I, I think uh, you said something earlier, Darren. I think it's quite, and I think it's, it's right that this is one of the first kind of empathetic betrayal of that to some degree, or that he's allowed empathy in a little bit. And I think the Caprio sells that pretty well. And I, I agree. I think it's there. I think it's, uh, it's not there in Rage Ball. It's not there in Wolf Wall Street. I don't see it there anywhere else. It, to some degree, Scorsese being rigorous about this kind of, uh, kind of condemning look, it almost. Or of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, that, that kind of, the, the kind of. Undermine, underlining male rage that exists at in certain points. Yeah, and I think I think and I think it's here, but I think it's it's 
it's a different thing or else if it's it's not the same thing it's a different way of looking at it or a different way into seeing somebody's kind of the wreckage of somebody i suppose actually yeah i think he's less less of a man in some ways like yeah because of it this i'm curious about actually because i know andrew is kind of andrew's argued that you know one of his big issues with scorsese um has been the way in which his his worlds tend to be I don't know if I'm using the right adjective here, but maybe cold or hostile or full of characters who are kind of unsympathetic or towards which the movie's arguably unempathic or unempathic. Um, do you, it, am I right? Am I, you know, am I, do you agree with me, Andrew, that like the movie is perhaps more sympathetic to Teddy or Andrew than it, it than say Raging Bull is to Jake LaMotta or Taxi Driver is to Travis Bickle? Like, do we think that there's a sympathy there? Or am, am I reading too much into it? Is this, does this get at a humanism that I think you've suggested is maybe lacking from some of Scorsese's other films while approaching some of the same yeah, themes and I'd, ideas. I'd, I'd, prob- I'd probably go along with that, yeah. I mean, the... the, the, the um, it's staying in that kind of um, Scorsese um, trope of, of it being a, a movie about a horrible person. <laughs> but... but <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it's maybe a horrible yeah. person that you can understand. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, so. I think that's what we do. And you want and you want to get better, and yeah. other people want to get better as well. Because yeah. like the entire like point of what you're watching on screen is people want Teddy to get better. Whereas on the other hand, there's no real sense of you know. And again, not that it's anybody's responsibility to make Travis better, but there's no sense of like a world existing where Travis could be anything but what he is. Whereas here. You almost get a sense that, like, you know, Crowley and, you know, Chuck want, like, Teddy to pull through. They want him to come to terms with it and they want him to actually get better, which is, you know, perhaps rare in, in the kind of movies that deal with these sorts of themes. That then, I guess, it might brings be as us well to this that it's, it's, it's Corsese film from a time, Darren, as well, that it's well it's set well before the kind of the era of Rage of Ball and Flex Driver that this perhaps was the last time in America that. Yeah. Kind of that empathy was extended to a certain degree, to the level it was. Well, that psychosis could have been could have been cured almost. Yeah, that there was a point where this could have been fixed, and this was it almost. Yeah, yeah. And you do have that duality of uh, of Crawley himself. You know, yes, he does want to get to get better, but you've also got the other side that his life works is on is on the line here as well because he actually mentions it being a war, doesn't he, at the end, where he's saying you are you are the last line of defense now. You know, if you if we don't get through to you. Um, then my work and my life is over as 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 this um, for this this work that he's trying to to get through. So there's a duality with with that character as well. It is worth noting actually because this kind of brings us neatly to the ending, uh, which is is again almost like the ending to Inception, one that is ambiguous and one that's open to interpretation. So you have this big intervention where, again, in the style of Psycho, which gets a wonderful reference with the shower scene as well. But like in reference to Psycho, you have like literally a psychotherapist show up at the end of the movie and explain everything that you've just watched to you in very theatrical fashion. Um, And then you have like a sequence where Teddy or Andrew, Andrew wakes up and seems to realize what he's been through and he explains it. And, you know, he says it, he says it out loud, he verbalizes it. And then in the final scene, he seems to relapse, which means that he's going to have to get lobotomized. But you have that wonderful moment where, you know, talking with Dr. Sheehan, he pauses and he says, I wonder which would be worse to live as a monster or to die as a good man. And then kind of walks off. And there's this ambiguity about whether is Andrew faking it as Teddy in order to get himself lobotomized so he doesn't feel pain anymore? 
has he actually regressed into Teddy and is subconsciously kind of queuing this out there? What do we think of that? Is there is there an ambiguity there? Is there I, a reading there? Or? I it's not for me. I, I I think it's quite clear he's sacrificing himself in the sense he's sacrificing and excising memory because it's too much to bear. I think he knows exactly who he is, yeah. and that's the tragedy of it. I I know Lahend was asked about it because it's that line isn't in the book. Yeah, uh, and famously, I think that Scorsese and uh, screenwriter whose name escapes me, uh, that was their. Um, addition to it and uh, later called yeah and scorsese has talked about it saying that you know he doesn't want to give out in the way about it same with um dicaprio and just famously <laughs> mentioned that scorsese wanted people to see it twice in the cinema so he did it you know you can watch it <laughs> that's, that's how you get those film, grosses it, that's how you yeah, get exactly. the highest grossing scorsese <laughs> movie exactly oh. but i i to me it doesn't strike me as amb- ambiguous at all i think it's quite clear to me now and i mean that and it, it is a subjective thing and i don't think it's objectively full of clarity but for me it's quite clear where he's going and what he's doing and why he's doing it i agree with that too yeah i i um i think i think yeah they, they, they like while 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 it's possible for people to have kind of different interpretations um um of the movie and that the movie doesn't have to explain itself or doesn't have to be one or the other and it can be what you think it is. I, I am. I think, yeah. For 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 me also, it's 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 fairly clear. It's an astonishing made... ending, isn't it? In yeah. That regard, like, I, like I, it really is. Like for to to make a question every about everything you've seen in in a different way than you'd even question everything you've seen. It's, I, it's, I find it really interesting in that regard. It's maybe trying to make the the movie even more. Um, clever or complicated yeah, is, I think is it taking that yeah. interpretation of it and that it's not necessary like because it's already yeah well i, I might say though i mean the line like jason said the um the the, the whole tragicness of of i mean i, I agree so yeah. we've got a full house here i think unless uh, yeah. darren's different but poker it is uh, i mean i flirted with the idea i flirted with the idea but um and i know people that think that he's he's just teddy full stop um, but I actually quite like the 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 addition of um, of Chuck saying Teddy at the end as well because it it, it reemphasizes that again because he's like going he's almost asking are you Teddy yeah. kind of thing and it doesn't he doesn't answer the question he just walks off which uh, which I think is is great but I think I've adding that that melancholy that 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 um, tragicness to it and makes it makes it even more um, hard hitting I think that those lines were brilliant. Yeah, I think there's it really that's that's the good punch there. Again, you know, I've been I think I've been described as a as a robot who generates movie opinions. But that end- I think I've described just that down <laughs> actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> on several occasions uh, but I, like that genuinely breaks my heart that moment when it's like yep yeah, he he literally cannot live with himself. Like that's And the shake of the head from Ruffalo is beautiful. Yeah. The little tiny, the imperceptible shake of the head. Yeah, and he, towards the rest, this is and, really and the reaction shot as well from like Kingsley as well, because Callie. Yeah. Again, Callie seems he has that level of complexity that kind of Kurt mentioned, where it's like clearly there is a lot of ego tied up in this for him, but there's also like he, I think he genuinely wants to help these people, and the fact that you know again the the ambiguity or the frustration that you know Teddy's choice doesn't just kill him, it kills the entire process as well. Because Coley will never get to do this again with any other patient. He's described this as kind of the last hill. This is the last great chance that his kind of like 
treating people like human beings has the last shot that he has at it so you know andrew or teddy kind of shaking his head and kind of saying no i would rather have my brain screwed with i'd rather be lobotomized than live like this and i think it's right about the last effort like because we did say it a second ago like the the gi bill post-world war ii and the kind of opportunities for soldiers both medical educational and all the rest of it was really interesting and that never really happened again like i mean yeah Vietnam War, what happened to Vietnam vets, for example, and the kind of how they were shortchanged and kind of given up on, given up upon, and subsequent to Gulf War, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think it's really interesting in terms of that that was almost like a line under the sand, both in this specific film and in the general American kind of treatment of kind of war trauma. Yeah, well, it wasn't quite solidified yet. It was almost a moment where it was fluid, and then yeah. it was you know, then it was set exactly. in stone, and it was like, no, it will, it will not be this way. It will not be better than it is, which is again heartbreaking for its own reason. I, you know, I would argue. Yeah, oh, it is for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of it is um, yeah, stunning, stunning, stunning ending, and one that's kind of stuck with me. And I know that it's stuck with other people because whenever you mention Shutter Island to people, they will mention the ending is the first place they go, and it generally seems yeah. to be affection as well. Uh, my mother, sure. my mother cannot remember uh, the movie that she watched last weekend, but I stuck on Shutter Islands for two minutes, and she knows she can remember the ending of the film beat for beat, uh, which is like one of the great like it, this made an impression on people. Uh, oh, for sure, I know it absolutely did. Like it really did. It's a rare enough thing. Yeah, to have that kind of cultural impact as well, and again yeah. to have it, to have it like at the same time as Inception, because I think I mentioned this. Like I, we talked about this like as a post-war film. We talked about this as a kind of a war on terror film. It's also arguably something of a kind of a like a film that like signifies the decade that would follow it. Like Inception, I think like you could argue that Leonardo DiCaprio became an avatar of the post-truth era before post-truth became a thing, which is this idea of, you know, after the Great Recession, you know, you had Amer- after the War on Terror, you had this idea of kind of American exceptionalism kind of thrown into question and into doubt and this question of how we move forward knowing that the kind of wonderful romantic idealized life, you know, where we lived in the lake house with our beautiful wife and our three adoring kids that didn't work out as we planned. How do we come to terms with that? How do we reconcile with the fact that this, you know, ideal life that we were promised or we expected, or we told ourselves that we had never materialized. And, you know, in, in most movies or in, in kind of most earlier stories, like in, say, the conspiracy theory world of the X-Files, to pick an example, it's like, okay, well, we dig underneath, we find the truth, we come to terms with the truth, and we reconcile with the truth, and we move forward. What's interesting about, say, and, you know, you could argue the same is true of, say, The Matrix in 1999 as well, where it's like, you discover that machines are running the world and your life's an illusion. Well, that's okay. You break out of it. You fight it. You you kind of... you you put your fists up and you fly like Superman and you beat that world into submission. I think what's interesting about Shutter Island and Inception as kind of like the Leonardo DiCaprio kind of duology, and because we're talking about Shutter Island, we'll just talk about Shutter Island, is that it's very much a rejection of that. It's much more cynical. It's like, no, when you're confronted with the reality that, you know, things didn't work out the way that you thought they would, that reality isn't what you thought it would be, your gut reaction will be to double down on the illusion, will be to reject reality, will be to renounce it uh, rather than move forward. So you have, you know, and you could argue the kind of way in which American politics perhaps have gone in the past, say, four or five years. Arguing yeah, it's, it's two sides living in two different realities, like where they can't agree on... Well, they can't agree on what reality what is. Of, you know, facts are, yeah, yeah. Um, 
and and even like if you more particularly kind of the idea of kind of like retreating into memory make america great again as if to go back to the the idealized past and maybe you could argue the same is true with say you know joe biden as a presidential candidate where it's like take us back to the clinton era in the 90s uh, but you have this idea of you know not wanting to acknowledge that things are broken in a very fundamental way now and kind of seeking to escape to the past whether the past is the idealized romanticized kind of 1950s or the idealized kind of like utopian 1990s but yeah the idea that instead of confronting the way things are hiding from it running from it and rejecting reality in favor of the narrative um which i i find kind of interesting it's kind of weird though because it's 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 the it's the end of the american hegemony but it's not like there hasn't there hasn't really been a re- replacement like the the that kind of ch- um, china is kind of like anyway sorry we're getting into a <laughs> the um, geopolitics podcast like, it seems like yeah yeah it's a, it's a, it, it it i understand i guess some of the kind of make america great again because there is still a chance for um like they they haven't been like completely supplanted as a world power there there there's the 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 whole idea that's kind of like this is a this is a fight that we haven't yet lost yeah um uh, makes makes a lot of sense in terms of kind of appealing to people I, I can see that as well. And it, it, yeah, but I think it's... It, There's a kind of a truth to it. And I can see the, the appeal of it and the understanding of it. And again, the fact that this came out two years after the recession, you know, and I would argue, and the fact that its release was like directly affected by the recession as well, because it was pushed into a different year because the studio couldn't actually budget for advertising. It didn't think people could afford to see it as a result of that. And again, you know, the idea that the recession is arguably the kind of the great American trauma as much as the war on terror, because that's the one where, you know, people weren't able to work jobs anymore, weren't able to like rent houses. You know, the fact where that's around the time that you started seeing opioid addiction creeping in as well. And, you know, the fact that it was the point at which kind of the house of cards of the, the American exceptionalism kind of started crumbling. The idea that you could have the idyllic house with the beautiful wife and the beautiful kids in it and, and, that not being something that quite materialized for everybody. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I never. But I do think that. Uh, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> I, I would that. never oh, read. You, I can't. I can't. Im- uh, not, can't imagine. I would that never whatsoever. read too much into anything. But I, I do find that like genuinely interesting about the release of Shutter Island in 2010. It almost kicks off the decade perfectly. It's like the starting gun for the 2010s. And I- but it's very Scorsese, isn't it? In the sense that. It's the kind of end that he was always going to give us. And like, I mean, <laughs> like for whatever about his avuncular nature or how people perceive him. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of like Barda. It's that kind of last lap round where everybody thinks you're just some sort of jocular old daughter knocking around face where in fact you've been this miserable all your life and knocking this stuff out and nobody's really been listening perhaps as well. So the Shutter Island ended in some ways is is inevitable. Yeah, and and now that now they now they are, which again was the thing that I now they're listening. Now the, the thing that I loved about <laughs> and, if, and if you don't hear, we give you the Wolf of Wall Street a few years later to really ram home the point. Like. Yeah, which is again the thing that I love about like late Scorsese is that like by simply not changing and hanging around long enough, he managed to make himself cool. It's like yeah, he's Johnny Cash of filmmakers. <laughs> he went out of fashion again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but they were doing anything different. Really, um, very quickly actually. Then before before we wrap up. Um, I have a huge soft spot for Shutter Island and I have a huge soft spot for Cape Fear uh, of Scorsese's 90s output. And I think the two of them are 
perhaps quite related to one another because they're the most obvious examples in Scorsese's, you know, post-90s filmography of him just doing a genre piece, doing a straight up, arguably doing a straight up yeah, genre piece. I would agree with that. And I mean, I think that Jay pointed out, like, Shutter Island was sold as a thriller or as a mystery or as a horror movie, for example. It was, you know... Yeah. It kind of scored similarly. Yeah, yeah it has I very Bernard Herrmann. I mean... It has very Bernard yeah. Herrmann sound, yeah. Psychological horror, isn't yeah. it? Lots of strings, lots of ominous kind of orchestras. You know, and again, obviously... Although, although I can't I can't tell what in my mind is Cape Fear and, and, and what is... The, the Simpsons, the Simpsons version. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Standing up breaks will be forever. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, by the like the the the, the team tune where it's like bam 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 that is yeah. just the Simpsons. No, that's yeah, both. Yeah. That's that's like Bernard Herrmann. Is it both? That's Bernard oh, okay. score. I, like, I'm a huge fan of Cape Fear. I think I think it's great pulpy fifty yeah. style. Uh, yeah. But with, with this large '90s graphically, yeah, that's it. Like really explicit, film. and yeah, explicit, and like yeah, and it's a remarkable ma- mismatch. Like it fits, and it shouldn't. Uh, by the way, just before we move on, there, Andrew mentioned The Simpsons. I absolutely love that the climax of Shutter Island is largely that joke from The Simpsons, where Lionel Hutz fixes his business card by adding a comma and an exclamation mark. It's like you and latest. That's what this has always been about. It's like no, you. And latest, that's what it's always been about. It's like, no! Um, which I kind of adore. Ben Kingsley there with a little marker, just sort of like adjusting the transcript. Uh, but yeah, no, the, with the Cape Fear thing, I think that it's like what makes Scorsese's genre pieces so good is exactly what Jay mentioned, which is that these feel like they are, again, because Scorsese is such a fecking cinephile, because he's such a movie nerd, because he's like drawing so explicitly from the cinema of the 40s, the 50s and the 60s. Um, they look and feel exactly like those movies. Shutter Island feels very much like a film noir. I think that, like Jay mentioned, will, explicitly, yeah. like was it? I will, sorry, I will, I will. I will say there's some kind of bad CG horizon at the beginning. Of oh, it, on the boat, which maybe, yeah, which maybe wasn't as obvious when it came out because, like, um, um, would be shot on film anyway. Probably, probably scrubbed right. it up. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But it, it, there, 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 there was a bit of that in Kundun as well. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, this is made a lot later. Um, but yeah, that, 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 it, it kind of, it, in one way, it kind of took me out of it. But also, it's kind of like may, maybe if you were going to excuse yeah, it, to piece, you could it? say that like it adds to the kind of irreality of. Um, of the the story is we, we give him the benefit of doubt. I, we think we know yeah. he knows yeah. what he's doing. Um, and again, exactly. the fact that, yeah, the character is probably never even on a boat, for example, as well. Um, but I mean, even even things like, I mean, Jay mentioned stuff like Sam Fuller's Shock Corridor, for example, and things like that. And even the fact like the cabinet of Dr. Calgary is a big point of reference here as well. But what I think that like makes Scorsese's genre references so, or like, you know, movies like Cape Fear and this so good is that he takes the framework of those classic kind of movies, like the original Cape Fear and, and the ones that he re- movies that he references here. And he updates them in a world where the, the kind of, you know, the Hayes Code or the Breen office don't exist. So he can actually say, by the way, 
here is all the subtext of those movies just laid bare. So instead of being a film noir that is only like theoretically or abstractly about the trauma of the Second World War and the Holocaust, he's like, nope, this is actually about the drama and the horror of the Holocaust and I'm going to show you. Or Cape Fear, which is about, you know, the fear of kind of sexual liberal uh, liberalization and the idea of a changing world and parental responsibilities. Like, yeah, instead of making all that subtext, I'm just literally going to render it as text. And I kind of really adore that about his films because they, they... You know, that cliche, that horrible cliche of kind of elevated horror or whatever they call it, which is a description I truly hate. <laughs> yeah, I know. I hate it as well. But Scorsese doesn't do that. He just exemplifies it and then uses it to articulate what it was always saying anyway, which I think is kind yeah. of brilliant. And I really, really love that about it. Um, I would agree with that. But anyway, so in terms of Shutter Island, is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything that we haven't discussed already? I would just say that uh, uh, the use of... Some of the, the photography that they've used. I know you've talked about water, but the fact that he was being physically sick at the very beginning, um, you know, the fact that for the sheer look of water and then he ends up having to swim across to the lighthouse is uh, is an interesting journey itself. And very much like the Truman Show, as much as I'd like to go back to the Truman Show, he is trying to find his way out. And uh, I, I think there's allusions to that there, which I, which I really like. The rat in a maze. Um, and... It, yeah, they're out in the maze. And, and obviously the, the use of the fire as well and the, the contrast that he uses in the dream sequences, which I thought were, were hyper kind of HDR as it would be um, nowadays. But I quite like the some of the aesthetics in the in the dream sequences as well. Even little touches like the smoke going backwards. I, I, like, I give a shout out to Patricia Clarkson uh, knocking her uh, bit out of the park as well. It's, just, it's such an odd little scene. Um, <laughs> in a kind of unreal, uncanny way. And I really love it. It just kind of was like, not appears out of nowhere, but it just becomes its own little self-contained little thing. That was the sequence and that I, convinced Scorsese to make the movie when he read the script. It was I, that could, I can imagine yeah. so, because I imagine that's where his heart would lie in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like, um, and, and I love it. Yeah. And I really, I really do. And I also Ruffalo for uh, giving him yet another Columbo uh, kind of Odyssey. audition. <laughs> which is for the Zodiac as well, which is great. And somebody will give him the money to do it eventually. <laughs> Um, I do actually with the, with the Clarkson scene as well lovely little small touch that I, I adore is the fact that like she's introduced not wearing shoes because obviously her shoes are you know supposedly men's shoes obviously by the way if you're watching very closely in patient 67's room but within the shot she suddenly gains shoes and it's never like the camera never draws your attention to it as well <laughs> she's just suddenly wearing shoes after not wearing them at the start of the scene which and there's so many lovely little touches like that um, worth noting as well we mentioned on The Departed that like Scorsese which is hugely influenced by Chinese cinema in terms of editing and cutting there he apparently was hugely influenced by Korean cinema um, here as well so things like you know for example the, the fevered intensity and tonal schizophrenia and the kind of the frantic cutting were apparently things that he drew from looking at movies um, like I think Old Boy for example is the one that he cited oh, yeah, I can see that. Um, but again combining that doing the thing that Scorsese does because again such a film nerd and I say that with so much affection it's like he combines that with like the Prowl and Pressburger thing where the 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 adorable little child fish from the water dead is wearing bright red shoes because of course she is because we're going to fit a, a Powell and Pressburger reference in here somewhere yeah. even in this scene of like brutal brutal child murder we mentioned as well that Elias Cotes looks exactly like Robert yeah. De Niro. It's terrifying. Yeah. Uh, it looks, it's, it's actually Kenneth Branagh's Frankenstein yes! era, Robert yeah. De Niro. Yeah. Uh, it's bonkers. Yeah. It's, I, every time I watch it, I still, I'm convinced it's De Niro. Yeah. Convinced. That, that's it exactly. I actually thought, like, he reminded me a lot of De Niro and Cape Fear, even as well, just with the kind yeah, of yeah. intensity of it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah no, it, it is very much exactly that. And you're kind of wondering if. 
Like Scorsese was just temporarily considering having a movie where Leonardo DiCaprio's alternate self would be Robert De Niro from Frankenstein. And he thought that was too much. Yeah. That was just a little bit too much. <laughs> Stop him, <Marky>. yeah. <laughs> Bring the two of them together before flowers, flowers, killers of the flower moon. Sorry, Andrew. No, in terms, very, very, very quickly, in terms of um, our, like, stupid podcast stuff the the there's a scene where the the um where rachel um solando is is kind of saying to him oh no you 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 haven't you haven't been eating the the food have you and he's like well i I didn't want it to go to waste (laughs) and it's like you haven't been smoking their cigarettes no i have been i've been inappropriately smoking why um yeah so there's that as well yeah um well, particularly like because going back to the X Files thing, I mean that's very kind of seventies conspiracy theory kind of stuff, and and that part of the movie is actually one thing I do really like about it. I do like that 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 scene, even though it is is in his head. But um, I, I do like the, the aspects of you know you've been smoking. Has anyone ever give you a cigarette? You know that kind of thing. You've always had it lit for you, which also as well flips on the other side of um, the fact of his fear of fire, the the whole fire aspect as well. But uh, but yeah, that, that's a particular thing for the from the conspiracy side that I really like. We should uh, we should really mention the 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 dead wife though, shouldn't we? Uh, it's the it's the dead wife in the room, uh, if you will. Um, and it, like it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's an interesting thing that the two films, Inception and this, came along with not similar but broadly kind of ideas. And Williams and um, Cotillard, oh, Cot- Cotillard, yes, were terrific in the relatively limited screen time they both get. I mean, particularly here when you see that scene where the Caprio character comes home. Yeah, and, and she's just rocking you know, on the... The scene is remarkable. It's remarkably quiet. It's very eerie. It's very sad. It's very still. It's absolutely terrifying. Particularly compared to the rest uh, of the film as well. Like, again, that's an example yes, of Scorsese exactly. like, as a master of what he's doing. The rest of the movie's been so frantic and it's like, we get to the climax. What are we going to do? We're going to have a 10-minute sequence that's largely still. William sells the hell out of it. Uh, she's yeah. very, very good. She's a great, great actress, anyway. But to see, like, it's not a huge role. It's not much of a role in other ways. And it is a the dead boy thing has become a cliche. And you know, it's you start looking at films sometimes. You go, it's a little unfortunate, but at least it's done well in the regards of how it's done. How it fits in the film, I think. Did anyone feel that that line uh, kind of spoiled it a bit, though? That the that kind of like um, it's it's Saturday. Uh, school isn't open. But on a Saturday, and her kind of like my school is. Um, I was kind. Of, I was kind of I, wondering. Yeah, was that a moment where your eyebrow raises an audience member, Andrew? It's like, wait, is this? Yeah, I kind of like ah, oh, sucks. <laughs> um, there is an allusion to it early in the film, isn't it? But may yeah, the actual delivery of it, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But aside from that, no, I'd, I'd agree with Jay. Yeah. The, 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 that would just be one little kind of like... Yeah, yeah that's funny. Cut it in post. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, do we have any other ones? Can we possibly get Emily Mortimer back in to re-record that line, see if it works a bit better? <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, and the Max Richter uh, soundtrack. I mean, obviously the soundtrack, uh, Robert Robbie Robertson did a fantastic job compiling from a variety of different sources, but it's, it's Max Richter's On the Nature of Daylight, which I think Kurt alluded to as a point of connection between it and Arrival. It um, ruined Arrival for me on first watch because I was going, where the hell do I know that song from? <laughs> <laughs> That's all I did for most of that film. It's like, I know that song from somewhere. Uh, 
but yeah <laughs> but, but it, like the, those dream sequences are staggering even like the sequence before you get to the flashback the first dream sequence with her where she's in the apartment and she walks over to the window and at the window it's suddenly like a you know there's a gazebo and a lake all of a yeah. sudden and then she's kind of burning and then she's evaporating and again all of this stuff is remarkable all of it's done like old-fashioned wise you know through cuts and through transitions and stuff um but it, it's remarkably well it's fantastic filmmaking again you know you'd argue that like you know wolf of wall street is perhaps scorsese's and again thelma schumacher does a fantastic job but you would argue that like say wolf of wall street is the one where you know sort of scorsese really proves that he can make as vital or as you know aggressive or as young a movie as you know a director half or even a third of his age at that point but yeah this is this is an incredibly kind of like hip and dynamic movie as it were you know this is a movie that really still feels fresh um i know it goes for it yeah it doesn't hold back um all right then, I think that about wraps it up. Unless there's anything else we want to talk about, unless there's anything that we haven't discussed already with regards to Shutter Island. I think I'm happy enough with that. Happy, yeah. All right, perfect. Um, two quick things then. Um, very quickly. Um, fun fact: the psychiatric institution uh, where it was filmed uh, actually hosted a drive-in screening of the movie in this September, which That's I find. I'd love to go to that. That sounds kind of amazing, doesn't it, as well? Yeah, it does, actually. Um, and it's worth noting that at least at least part of the movie's financial success has been credited to a massive advertising binge at the Vancouver Olympics, which I kind of adore as well. Apparently, wow. a significant portion of why the movie had the biggest Leonardo DiCaprio opening weekend ever was because it was plugged incredibly heavy, heavily during NBC's uh, coverage of the Vancouver Olympics. Which I kind of adore in terms of like an audience, an audience sitting at home going, "Yep, that looks like it's my that looks like it's my jam." Um, my Saturday night movie. <laughs> I'm sure, there'd be no uh, unpleasantness in there. Yeah. Just going back to the open air concert thing. I hope it wasn't raining. Yeah. That's all I'll say. Yeah, fair. Not not in the middle of a hurricane. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, no. And again, fantastic cast as well. I think we mentioned most of them, but yeah, it has a truly amazing ensemble. Yeah, um, we we had a lot of love for Max. Recently, we did as a... when, when we were talking about Seven uh, C, and he's so uh, so good here. By the way, Leonardo Leonardo DiCaprio's accent, which I know is kind of a recurring subtrend um, on this podcast, we are duly appointed federal marshals, uh, which I kind of adore. Um, <laughs> and I hear microprocessors, but it's pretty good. <laughs> and I ad- I adore <laughs> the moment where he's like stops to lecture Max von Sydow on his accent. Nice accent, but you hit the consonants a tad hard. <laughs> Leo, I don't think you're in any position to lecture anybody else on the uh, the uh, verisimilitude of their accents. But yeah, so I think that about wraps it up. But what we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something. So to give Kurt a moment to think about what he's going to recommend, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. What would you recommend for listeners? Um, I'll recommend three things and I'll try to do it quite quickly. Um, and I'll probably forget the third thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the... Um, I recommend it already, but um, it it speaks a lot to this movie because it's set in in 1954 when Robert Oppenheimer lost his security clearances, not in the House of Un-American um, Activities uh, Committee, but uh, but parallel um, kind of and 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 it felt kind of um, in the same. Um, Kind of trend as 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 this kind of um, mass hysteria that was gripping um, America. I recommend people um, 
um, people have a look at that book, but it is a big one. But I'm just recommending it because I enjoyed it. Um, a, another thing I would... Um, What's the name of the book again, towards, sorry? Oh, sorry. It's uh, American Prometheus. Um, so it, 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 it comes from the, um, the kind of quote, I think it was, it was, it was from kind of American scientific monthly or something like that, where, where, um, what is it again? That's, uh, modern Prometheans have raided Mount Olympus again and have brought back for man the very thunderbolts of Zeus. This is Oppenheimer who had worked on the atom bomb, mostly because of the, of the fear that, um, because he had learned quantum physics in Germany. I said I was going to be quick and I'm not being quick at all. Because he, he had learned quantum physics in Germany when it wasn't really known in America at all and had brought it to Berkeley and made that the, 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 the kind of best American university um, for the study of that. But he, 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 he was behind the likes of Werner Heisenberg who were working on the, on the, the Nazi bomb project so there was a, a, a real kind of worry that if they didn't do it the nazis would of course kind of the nazis didn't but the the reason the reason he got kind of pushed out of the program um was because of his uh, reservations about use of the bomb and the development of of strategic um hydrogen bombs that could um that could only really be used for genocide because kind of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, as horrific as they were, um, it was kind of one bomb doing the work of twenty-eight bombers um, that they did where 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 they where they had already been killing hundreds of thousands of Japanese people in one night, kind of in some in Tokyo, for example. With the fire bombing. Um, but um, so I'd recommend that. I'd I'd I'd, I'd also recommend. Um, the uh, book uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Victor E. Frankl because it, it, it's touching both on psychiatry or uh, logotherapy um, and on the Holocaust because it's a man's kind of um, experience of surviving. Well, you mentioned the, this on the Life is Beautiful podcast, camps. actually. Yeah. That's right. That's yeah. right. And, 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 um, but it's also him talking about kind of um, his uh, mode of, of of therapy and how people can find, you know, an, an unqualified sort of purpose for their life. Um, and and the third thing I would say, just something that I was enjoying lately, which is funny enough, uh, a little bit related to this, um, is uh, there was a Life of Tom Stabbert thing on... And uh, it's on BBC Sounds. And it's like Tom Stoppard Life by Hermione Lee. Um, and they talk in the final episode about his most recent play, which of course isn't being played in any theatres because of COVID. Yeah. But that, that's, um, <laughs> it's, um, uh, the name of it has just jumped out of my head. It's not... Um, It'll come back to me. Anyway, to um, to um, to check that out, um, it is it 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 had me crying, kind of. Uh, Leopoldstadt, perhaps. Leopoldstadt, yes. Thank you. Um, so it, it 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 the description of 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 the kind of um, 
devastation of the Holocaust. This is kind of like family of Viennese Jews. Um, yeah, just uh, the, 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 I, I was I was in tears. Then and that's an effect that the the that his plays can have on me. But I didn't expect for like a, a radio kind of a, like a fifteen minute kind of documentary talking about Leopold that would have that effect. Oh. Anyway, sorry, I went on far too long. Uh, no, no, all good recommendations. And Jay, what would you recommend for listeners? Um, a couple of things. I'm doing a, a 31 Days of Horror or Shocktober, or as, you, as the as the kids are calling it uh, at the moment. Oh, you mean hey. you were last month, right? Yes. When I, when I, when I was doing it. I, uh, and some films that have come out of that uh, worth watching. Uh, and I just mentioned a couple. And, uh, one is a film called Revenge, which is a French film. Which is oh. absolutely ferocious. Um, yes, this the one about the the woman uh, in basically in the desert, if I remember correctly, yes. right? With the uh, yes, so it's the film festival. Uh, it's phenomenal. Yeah. It's it's horrific. Yeah, it's and brutal. And unlikely to forget. What hyper stylized, really beautifully shot, and stunningly put together. Carly Fergay, I think her name is, who'd made it, um, is really really good filmmaker. I think, or certainly has the potential to be so. Um, I really liked, and the other one I mentioned, and I think just to be quick, sh- that one's on Shudder actually. Revenge, yeah, is and on that's, that's the, the next one, uh, yeah. which is uh, Tigers Are Not Afraid, which is a Mexican film, um, uh, directed by um, somebody or other. I'll tell you now, one second, but uh, this is a film, it's, it's a Lopez, uh, is a Lopez directed it, and this is a story about it. Kind of, I'm not sure it would be your type thing, Darren. There's magic realism oh. in here. Uh, which I know you're a bit an orphan children and whatnot, but it's set in the uh, <laughs> we know we know your monstrous ideals around these things are, but it's set around the, the kind of the drug wars in Mexico and kids trying to escape cartels. To, to be clear, I hated like uh, the Florida Project. Let's right? not okay. let's not let's go okay. back into it there, and I just thought <laughs> to take a cheap shot. Okay, um, it's a the narrative drifts a little, but aside from that, some of the most technically stunning filmmaking I've seen in quite some time, and it's a debut as well. Uh, and I seriously recommend it. And the last thing I'll mention... Are the you, orphans real orphans, or do they, uh, they turn out to be grown-ass women? Um, I can't answer that. For root risk of spoiling it. <laughs> That's the, the um, twist, yeah. But one, I, but one I will mention, Darren, I think you will like, uh, is an anthology series on Hulu, if you have access to it, called Monsterland, um, which I've been watching. And this is based on a book called a short story collection called North American Lake Monsters, uh, by a writer called Nathan Ballingrud, who'd never heard of. And it's an eight-episode thing of eight self-contained stories, where actresses, actors like Caitlin Deaver, Kelly Marie Tran, Mike Coulter, Bill Camp. That's a hell of a cast. There's different ones, different episodes, and they're all various different uh, stories. And I'm about five or six in, I think, at the moment. And it's really, really good. There's one kind of episode that wasn't boiled on, but the rest were excellent. That really okay. thought-provoking and interesting and, you know... Would you go as far as say deep? Because they're I lake monsters? I might say that. Uh, uh, but I think you'd, I think you'd, you'd dig it particularly, particularly on Tottenham Street, I think. Uh, that's, it's well worth checking out. 
Perfect. And Kurt, any recommendations from yourself? Uh, I do. After Andrew and Jay have uh, have padded enough out for me to find some stuff. Um, <laughs> we were just stalling. Yeah, we were just stalling as Kurt searched frantically around the room. Sorry. Around him. Yeah. Normally, I only recommend one thing. Sorry about that. Well, well, actually, Andrew, you've actually you, you made me think when you were talking there of, of a book that I got a few years back, and I, I do want to reread it. Actually, it's called um, Into Tibet. And it's a, it's a book by Thomas Laird. And uh, if I just read the back, it's probably easier. So Into, Into Tibet is the incredible story of a 1949-1950 American undercover expedition led by America's first atomic agent, Douglas um, S. McElman. A covert attempt to arm the Tibetans and to recognise Tibet's independence months before China invaded. So it's uh, it's really interesting. It's the, the CIA's first um, atomic spy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, really yeah. good read. So, okay. yeah, it was... Um, hey, Tibet the house Thomas on that, Laird. eh? That's not bad. Yeah. Uh, I've got it signed by him and everything. Oh, very good. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, so that was, uh, he came to our site. We do a lot of um, presentations and uh, we've got a lot of people who've climbed Everest around my area. So we have a lot of like um, conferences and lectures and things. And, and Thomas Laird was one that came a few years back and that was in 2002. So it's, he probably came to our site, maybe 2010, something like that. So, yeah, so just a, a kind of a, a tedious link to what we've been talking about. Uh, recently, in recent history, I've also um, been looking back at some films, and uh, my good friend and Darren's good friend Tony Black uh, brought brought me brought this to my attention. I think it's a Centurion um, remaster of The Incident from 1967. Uh, so I've, I watched that recently and absolutely loved it. And then finally, my good friend Sarah Blair has released her second book, uh, which is slightly off kilter, kind of King Arthur meets X Files. Uh, and that's a book called Darkness Loves Company, uh, which is uh, a prequel to her original um, book, which was uh, Darkness Shifting. So uh, those three things for me. For me, Nice. A um, couple of quick recommendations for myself then. Um, because I normally do this, I recommend what Scorsese did between films. So between the part in this, he did The Key to Reserva, which is an advertisement for Reserva wine. Uh, but it's a sense of like Scorsese having a great deal of fun with himself. At one point, Scorsese turns to the camera and says... It's one thing to preserve a film that hasn't been made. It's another to preserve a film that has not been made. And then somebody asks him, has that been done before? And he replies, no, but we're going to do it. And that's basically the premise. It's Scorsese making a giant Hitchcock homage with his mate Simon Baker and Michael Stuhlbarg. And it's about five minutes long and it will try and sell you alcohol. So, hey. Who's going to complain about that? The Rolling okay. Stone. Did you did you did you drink it after? Did I did. You, did I did you not have the wine. I did not have some. You of the didn't reserve. really. <laughs> the advertising <laughs> didn't do its function, unfortunately. I'm, I'm ordering a case as we speak. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, and no, it, it's it's good fun. It's Scorsese having a bit of fun at his own expense, which is nice. That sense of him having won the Oscar and done what he needed to do, which is good. Um, and then Shine a Light, which is him doing the Rolling Stones. In terms of other stuff, very quickly, um, because if you have if you're listening to this podcast, you like Shutter Island, you might like The X Files, which is an Amazon Prime. Kurt has a podcast on it, uh, which is very very worth listening to, which is The X Cast, for example. Um, and then very quickly, because everybody's giving horror movie recommendations. Hold on, wait, in- you have a book as well. <laughs> I, 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 I I do. I do, but I'm not a guest on my own podcast. It would have felt churlish for me to recommend my own book. I'm recommending Kurt's podcast. It's you better. Read Darren's book. <laughs> read Darren's book. Yeah. Uh, but okay. Which which one? The X Files one. And my yeah. Um, that's how you reel them in. You get them to watch the show now and then buy the book later. And then my third recommendation, because obviously, despite the fact this is now mid-November, um, we are all talking about horror movies. 
I have been quite enjoying Shudder's remastered Roger Corman movies. So the, in particular, the Roger Corman, Edgar Allan Poe, Vincent Price movies, which I swear have a Scorsese connection I'll get to in a moment. So The House of Usher, uh, The Mask of the Red Death, and The Tomb of Legia have all been remastered in high definition and are available on Shudder to watch if you're in the United States. This I've, is... I've got a year of it, so uh, I'll, be, I'll be getting into a lot of Shudder stuff now uh, the next few months. Shudder, Shudder's actually really great. It's, Shudder is, it's really great. Uh, Really, really sorry. This has turned into the Shutter Cast. Welcome to the Shutter no, Cast. I, I mean, I was looking for horror films for my list. So yeah. many were on it that I was forced to get it. That it was so good, like genuinely. but like, but like, just browse it. And there's so yeah. much like they're like if you're looking for something to stick on, Shutter is generally a good bet. And if you have a VPN, that, I've had it. Also that, but um, yeah. and then so yeah, and there is a connection here because Scorsese famously used footage from Tales of the Gia in Mean Streets. So we bring it all full go. circle. Well done, Darren. That's a lovely little bow you wrapped in that. I'm very thank, impressed. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Sorry, Andrew. No, I was I, I, I was going to sneak in a recommendation, but I, I'm go not, for I'm it. Not going. Go for it. Go for it. You have, have to. Have I recommended society already? Just in general, yeah. the concept, the film, the film. The 80s, uh, <laughs> you don't want to recommend society nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Oh. no. The 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 eighties horror. I'd say if 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 that's on Shutter, um, Jay, check it out. But you've seen it already. Yeah, no, it's terrific. I have seen it. It's great. It's on BFI Player as well yeah. for, for, for people in the UK. A Mask of the Red Death, um, starring Vincent Price, director Roger Corman, has aged remarkably well. It's the story of an out of touch leader who walls himself off from his population as a deadly plague spreads the land, hosts a giant gala party, and manages to get everybody involved infected at it. And so, if it was made in 2020, it would feel a little bit on the nose. Yes, so that's The Mask so- of the Red Death. Um, I wholeheartedly recommend it. All right, then, before we go, Kurt, where can we find you online? Uh, as you've alluded to, the X-Cast, uh, which is an X-Files podcast, and you can find that on the X underscore cast. Another one which uh, which people, if, if you like Shutter Island, that you might be interested in is Millennium, the spin-off show, um, which is uh, obviously Frank Black, who actually goes through an, a, a nervous breakdown <laughs> three times in the, in the course of three seasons. Um, <laughs> it was a tough gig. Uh, we've had Lance Henriksen, so it, it does have illusions. It just is very kind of melancholy. There is aspects of Millennium which which you can um, relate to in Shutter yeah. Island. So uh, you can find my podcast on that at the Time Is Now Pod, and Darren's been on pretty much most of season two. Nobody um, else would do it. It was great. Nobody else would do Where it by you. And uh, the, the Red Dwarf podcast that I'm currently doing as well, Shipwrecked and Comatose, which is a Red Dwarf podcast oh, at Red Brilliant. Dwarf Pod. Did, yeah, have, so, have you covered backwards? That's like uh, season we, two, aka tennis. Season three, yeah. season three. That's season that's three. just uh, to, just about to record that in the next couple of months. Yeah, well, so, yeah, so we're on to season okay. Three. You're you're not going to do like a special episode about <laughs> well tennis in the cinema. All right, all right. All right. I'll, uh, I'll I'll put that I'll put that forward, Andrew, and see what, <laughs> see what the last. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll people, see what we can do. People who didn't yeah, like have been saying it's just backwards but it's not as good (laughs) (laughs) but remember when when inception came out it was like it's like that scrooge mcduck comic but it's not as good and it's like dude if if you have to point to a scrooge mcduck comic to say that like this gigantic blockbuster ripped it off it's safe to call it an original film but anyway um jay what about yourself where can we find Um, you online yeah, I'm at Jay Coyle on Twitter. I might just mention actually while we're all plugging. Uh, <laughs> we do a, a Friday night film thing at 11 Ooh, o'clock yes. on Friday night, Beyond Friday, which is the hashtag. And it's a, usually some sort of schlocky, weird, uh, bonkers, creepy, cheap 
eighties, nineties, two thousand. We've done things like Hard Target all the way back to the Abominable Doctor. That's a fine, so yeah. yeah, yeah, which is great, and so much of that kind of stuff. So if you're around at eleven o'clock and nothing else better to do, we chat about it on Twitter and watch it at the same time, and it's great fun. Pour so yourself a brandy. Find me there. Get yourself a cheese board. Help yourself. Yeah. Have a pickle back. <laughs> yeah. You can find out online what it is. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. Uh, perfect and you can follow me at Darren underscore Mooney I should probably plug this because I have it in a while I also do another podcast at The Escapist which will be releasing later this afternoon with a bit of luck I also now have a YouTube show at The Escapist as well where I talk about stuff that's happening every Monday and Thursday basically you can find it on the YouTube website if you want you're everywhere I am everywhere yeah Uh, I I saw your unboxing (laughs) I don't. I haven't. I haven't. Was I being unboxed? Who was unboxing me? <laughs> I thought you said we saw him boxing. Yeah. It was boxing Helena. Yeah. But yeah. Raging Bull yeah. all over again. Yeah. It's like a, 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 a boxing video. A boxing video with Darren. Yeah, where you put him in a case and kind of wheeling into this uh, big warehouse. And then when you just about to open, we put it back in the shelf because it's worth more in the packaging. (laughs) 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 But yes, yes. You can can find me online there as well. All right, you can follow the podcast at At The 250 on Stitcher and SoundCloud wherever good podcasts are sold. If you are enjoying us, if you are enjoying Scorsese season, please feel free to leave a review or share a retweet. Get the word out there. Helps get people listening. We're We're continually flattered that anybody's listening at all to this. Um, so thank you very much to everybody who is. Yeah, you're you're very strange, and thank you um, for, for 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 listening. Um, thank you so much. We'll be back next week. Speaking of orphans and magical realism, where we'll be discussing Martin Scorsese's 2011 Hugo in a crossover episode with the Movie Palace. Really looking forward to that. Take it easy, guys. Yes, I look forward to that. Bye. 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 See ya.